Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, June 18th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. How do? Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy summer solstice. And on the line with Miss Stephanie Cook. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. All four of us. All four of us are here and accounted for the first time it's happened in a, in, a, in a little bit of a while since x-men i believe is the yep. last time we were all together recording but we are here now ready to go stephanie how the hell are you i am pretty good i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm spacey there was a tornado north of toronto it was madness i watched a video oh. of it on youtube and you can tell like people in toronto aren't familiar like with tornadoes because there's the video is going and you can see uh, the funnel forming and it's like a father, I guess, taking the video. And then you hear kids are like, what is that? What, what is that? And they're like, Oh no, I, I don't, I don't know. Oh no. Oh, and he's like, Oh, I think it's a tornado. Eh? And, <laughs> and he's like, wow, is that really a tornado? It's real big. And they're like, Oh my God, I'm freaking out. And the kids are like, what do we do? What do we do? And they're like, oh, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And then all of a sudden you hear like, get in the basement. <laughs> like the tornado is so far away. <laughs> and like, it's not really doing anything other than existing. Mm-hmm. But Canadians and tornadoes, we're mm-hmm. all just like, the world is ended, motherfuckers. So that happened tonight. And it seems to have stopped, thankfully, because I was a little worried that the internet would cut out because of a power outage. Mm. So that hasn't happened yet, but not yet. Got to get down to that poutine cellar. Yeah. yeah. Hey, and we, you got Mara through one too, right? Wasn't she hiding in her yes. bathroom or something bathroom. for one episode? Yeah. She was in the bathroom. I'm not going to do anything quite so safe. I mean, if if a storm comes, hello, hot water. I'm going to podcast until I can't. Talking comics, family of podcasts. <laughs> Tornadoes don't stop us from recording podcasts. Apparently. <laughs> Like Hurricanes, yes. yes. Tornadoes, no. Yes. Um, Stephanie, have you been watching the uh, the 2014 FIFA World Cup? I have been. I don't have cable though, so I've I've had to do like some creative, um, some Russian streams. Of the- <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I have a Roku, and watch ESPN doesn't work in Canada for some fucking oh, reason. Oh yeah. So I can't watch it through streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but my neighbors were camping. For the weekend, and they asked me to watch their cat. So when I went upstairs to go feed the cat, I just sat on their couch and watched FIFA. So I broke into their house and I yeah. I mean, I texted her. She's like, "You like FIFA?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man." She's like, "Oh, well, have fun, I guess." 
And um, I, I've been timing my gym workouts with when FIFA games are starting that I want to watch. Perfect. Nice. Because they have the TVs on, right? And, you know, they, they finally turn them on like the elliptical. So I do like half an hour of elliptical and watch the game. And then I do some other things during halftime. And then by the time the second half starts, you know, I do like half an hour to 45 minutes on the bike because that's also in front of a TV. So I'm basically exercising and watching World Cup. It's nice. Pretty great. I watched nice. I tried to watch the Brazil game today, but I made the mistake of taking out my earbuds and a 75-year-old man named George, I know this cuz he told me all of this, decided <laughs> to talk to me and tell me about his life and then hmm. about religion and then Ooh. about his tattoos and then about how he's spry for an old man it's like oh uh -oh. well thank you <laughs> george go. he's like i admire you and i'm like uh-huh wow look at this game it's not fifa brazil he's like nothing's happening i'm like no i beg to differ I beg to differ <laughs> there's things happening and i'm missing them because you're distracting me he wants to share a metamucil smoothie with you yeah. yeah but you missed an exciting game i've got some hard candy <laughs> little girl <laughs> oh i don't want to make gym friends or any friends really i mean <laughs> we got a uh we got a unexpected amount of positive talk about our fifa talk last week yeah <laughs> we got like people were like oh my god i can't believe they know anything about soccer that was basically the yeah. you can consider that a positive tone oh, yeah <laughs> i was like live tweeting about it and people were like you watch soccer i'm like not only that i played for like seven years bitches I did. I played for so long. <laughs> and I love it. I love watching soccer. I mostly watch World Cup. Yeah. But, um, you know. USA had an exciting victory. That was nice. Yeah. They haven't won. That's the first time they've won a World Cup game in eight years. <laughs> that was fun to watch. Wasn't looking good for a second there. No. For a couple minutes, it wasn't yeah. looking good. But then they uh, they pulled it out. Yeah, our predictions out. went down the drain. They Spain did. and Portugal both got hammered. Both got, I, Spain has better chance than Portugal. Germany's going to win it, you guys. Deutschland? Yeah. Oma, is, I, I can hear Oma rooting for them from her couch. <laughs> what does the octopus say this year? Or did they fry him up for salad or something? Oh, I don't after know. The last I one. don't know who he picked. The octopus is still alive? I don't know. I don't I've know. Been, I, 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 I'm cheering for Germany, but then I, every match that I do watch, if I don't have a particular favorite right off the bat, I, I just kind of find a weird way to pick my favorite team, like mm. the Japan... I thought I was going to root for Japan on the game the other day, but then I was like, you Pacific know what? I like the Cote d'Ivoire. <laughs> I like them. They, they are. They have got spunk. <laughs> so I, I rooted for them. And then they won! <laughs> Where's Canada in the World Cup? What happened? You, I don't know. I'm assuming that you guys steal all of our good players since you do that for hockey, too. So Yeah, but they couldn't <laughs> play for our national team. I don't know. You guys deal our hockey players for the Olympics, so why not for this? They got to be American citizens. I don't Sorry. think that's true. I think that's true. I, I think, think that I think they to play forge, for the national team. You don't team. think that FIFA and all those people can like forge identity? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was really disappointed there's with the England scandal, game. Yeah. Did you guys watch the England game? Well, there's the one prediction that came through. Uh, Wayne Rooney didn't score did again. Not. Oh my God! Does he even know what the net is? <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's covering Sorry. some prostitute out in the street, then he knows what it is. And, you know, I, I tweeted about this the other day, but I'm pretty sure that it's like a requirement that, you know, you have to also be able to double as a male model if you want to play uh, soccer. And Rooney is, you know, the only player that really breaks that rule. Like, he looks like he's from like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. He looks like Absolutely. he's a male model for like Neanderthals. <laughs> yeah. 
him and Jason Statham are going to go beat up toughs on the streets. Oh, um, and I, that, I also, oh, go ahead. A drinking game. I came up with a drinking game today. You have to take a drink every time somebody has like an exaggerated injury. You'd be oh. wasted very quickly. I know, especially um, with that Brazil Mexico game today. They were so pushy. <laughs> yeah. that's, and that's our, our soccer update for today yeah. so pushy they were so pushy. you know there was no goal scoring happening but there was a lot of shoving mm. and you're a lot of flopping everybody. too like one person starts falling and then the other one's like reaching it's just like a train wreck like mm-hmm. have you ever seen that video of the kittens and this like russian guy made this video of kittens colliding in slow motion no, like, no i have and that's kind of like what that game was except not in slow motion it was just like <laughs> players colliding with each other throughout the entire match and then it was really great shots on net it was like yeah that didn't actually that wasn't a goal and then collision <laughs> um there is a foul for flopping for making a far sort of game you don't give it very often though it's like not yeah much. it's only if like you're really really like milking it yeah it's like yeah. a time delay thing right like if you're on the ground too much yeah. and it's mm-hmm. just like baloney yeah <laughs> so in the NBA, you get warned once, yeah. and the second time it's a twenty-five grand fine. Mm-hmm. Next one is fifty, and the third one's a suspension. So you hit him where it hurts. Yeah, we um, will but, take away your paychecks. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we'll keep you updated on the on soccer yeah. throughout the weeks. And, um, and we'll wait, find out what happened to the octopus. Who do you think we're rooting for? Just this, yeah, please. Yes? Oh, yeah, it's baloney. They're not going to win. Who are you really rooting? for? I'm rooting for the U.S. Once they're out. Um, I usually go, I like Spain and I like, uh, the Netherlands. Okay. Yeah. Steve? Even I'm Italian. I don't Me? know. Me? Yeah. Do you watch I, FIFA? I don't. Yeah. Oh. Pick a I, country. I watch, no, because this, this is unfair because uh, just Why in the unfair? last- because in the last couple of months, I've actually been getting into some sports mm-hmm. and actively watching them. Yeah. And I just watched the Rangers go through the Stanley Cup <laughs> and they blew it. Well, that's because you picked the Rangers. <laughs> they fought really hard, though. Mm-hmm. They did. Mm-hmm. But, I'm sure they did. But <laughs> <laughs> you're just patting me on the head at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I really I dig soccer. I just I never know where to watch this stuff because I don't have cable. Oh, yeah, it's tough then. The gym. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> really the gym. people say that, but to watch the Stanley Cup stuff, all I had to do was go to NHL.com, yeah. and it was their streaming. Yeah. I went to every other website that was all like, you've got to pay us to watch this game, yeah. when all I had to do was go to the simplest, it's always the simplest answer. Yeah. Um, it blew my mind. My friend Brendan came over and put on that last game, and all of a sudden, I had the game in my living room, and I'm like, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> Can I quickly say like one more thing about the Canadian coverage of this on CBC? Yes, absolutely. Like we have the most ridiculous commentators. So, you know, it, it's basically like mandatory that you have to have a British accent to commentate <laughs> and then that's it. Mm-hmm. They don't look at anything else, I think. And so at one point in time, the camera, I, don't, I forget what game it was, but the camera zooms in on a fucking moth on the field. And he's like, yes. This is some of the wildlife you find in Brazil. And I'm like, what? What's <laughs> happening? And he's like, look at it. This is zoomed in. This is really zoomed in. It's it's zoomed in lots. And look at it. That's just a taste of what you could see in Brazil. In beautiful, beautiful Brazil. And I'm like, put on the fucking game. <laughs> what is this? And it's just like, wow. Wow. look at him. He's just not moving. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, ah! And then they were like really, really happy about the spray cans. Like the referees have the spray cans to mark <laughs> yeah, the, where like the, the ball. The shaving cream, yeah. Yeah. And like every time he brought it, I was like, oh, they got out the spray can. Like they were like <laughs> really excited about it. And I was like, what? Why are we so excited about this? Like what? what is, okay. 
He's like, oh, it's raining. I don't think this is going to do any good. But look at him. He just got it out. And it's the first time on this pitch. He is in this game. He is so excited. <laughs> like, why? What? Uh, Who same. gave you a job? We have Ian Dark on ESPN. It's amazing. It's hysterical. It's amazing. Um, he's like the best commentator in the world. <laughs> I, I look forward every four years to hearing him talk yeah. about, about <laughs> soccer because it's amazing. Uh, um, I all right, think so my team is Germany, by the way. If, Germany? If we get yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Oma loves you. I'm of German descent, so why, right. why not? So we got Germany, Spain, It's Not Fair, and yeah. <laughs> Germany. <laughs> pick someone like Ivory Coast or Cameroon. Yeah. Or something, I love something. them. They Can I pick the Jamaican so. bobsled team? Yeah, absolutely. There That's you go. like picking Cameroon. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. exactly. Team Cool Running. Yeah. All right, so moving on to some comic book stuffs. Oh, um, that what we're here for? That's what we're here for. Oh, Talking sports. No. I would FIFA like cast. to. <laughs> we need another one. That's right. We'd be much more popular if we were right. a FIFA cast. We um, need uh, soccer themed. BJ yeah. to come in and do a new theme. Yeah. Touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not soccer. We'll, we'll get you and Sarah and everybody. It's and sports we'll, cast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's sports. Be soccer. Soccer. I could do soccer if you want, oh, but I don't true. think you want me to take you know up any more time. Get Jeff back. Preview of next week's show. Here's a snippet of my movies. Bend it like Beckham. Uh, she's the man. Um, Ladybugs. Ladybugs, yeah. <laughs> Invictus was rugby, so probably not that. Also, mm. I haven't seen it. Victory with Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm, I don't think they can beat Bend it like Beckham. No. Um, if you guys don't know what Seventy's talking about, because we talked about off air next Oops. week. <laughs> next week. <laughs> Because this week has been so on topic so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, such comic book focus. It's relevant, Bobby. Um, next week for the show, for our topic, we're going to do what we're calling have an off-topic show. We're going to do top five lists, but we're not going to do comic book-related stuff. We're going to do a top five movies, top five um, albums, and top five TV shows of all time for each of us. Um, so, yeah. So, if you guys have yours that you want to write in, write them in podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Unless you're a really great tweeter and can somehow fit all of that stuff <laughs> in 140 characters. Um, They're like movies with just like three letters. Exactly. exactly. No CSNY4. <laughs> yeah, yeah, email them to us. Um, just email us. We're not going to have time to read. Like we're not even going to have time for that many, uh, that much description of why. So no big descriptions why, but just read us in lists and we'll definitely read some of them out uh, on the show. But moving on to comic book stuff. So we got some sales numbers to run down really, really quickly here. Um, I got, again, this is from Comicron.com, so if you guys check them out, that's where we get these sales numbers from um, every month. I'll go back. I'll actually, this time I usually start with one, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go from twenty to one. Ooh, switching it up. Switching it up. So uh, Avengers um, number thirty was at number twenty with fifty-seven thousand. Um, then we have New Fifty Two Futures End number two at fifty-seven thousand. Um, then Avengers number twenty-nine at fifty-eight thousand. Um, Batman Eternal number seven at 62,000 all new X-Men number 27 at 62,000 um then Batman Eternal sorry yeah, yes uh, Batman Eternal number eight at a little at like about 200 two, 200 more 200 <laughs> more copies than Batman Eternal number seven I don't really understand why but that's better cover but who maybe knows? Uh, who yeah. knows who knows um Harley Quinn number six at 62,000 as well Superman doomed number one 63,000 Justice League United at 64,000. Um, those are both number ones. Um, Batman Eternal number six, 64,000. Batman <laughs> Eternal number... F- <laughs> the, the, our, my, the I think light my light just burned out. My overhead light just burned out. Um, I, I was afraid the power was going out, but yeah. then my computer and all this stuff have been off. So it suddenly got very intimate in it here. It did. It got yeah. very intimate in here. Bob can, can't say a Mood goddamn lighting. thing now. Well, I'm in trouble. Yeah, we'll have, to get, we'll have to change that up in a second here. Uh, Batman... <laughs> 
Batman Eternal number five at sixty six thousand, and then Batman and then New Fifty Two Futures End number one at seventy thousand. Should good debut for that book. Um, Walking Dead number one twenty seven at seventy one thousand. Uh, Justice League number thirty at seventy seven thousand. Um, Original Sin number two at ninety two thousand. Um, Forever Evil number seven at ninety six thousand. Batman number thirty one at one hundred seven thousand. Amazing Spider Man one point one at one hundred sixteen thousand. Amazing Spider Man number two at one hundred twenty three thousand. And Original Sin number one at one hundred forty seven thousand. That is your number one book of the that, last month. That's a heck of a number one. Yes, it is. But honestly, Justice League United, I think, is a that's a great number for a book that yeah was an add on to begin with. Yeah. It's it's a it, and came out in a very weird way. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. like the the it, it was it premiered before the finale of the of the last volume. That's right. So it was a weird thing for it to do. It didn't have any setup to go into it. So it was it was a weird beginning to that book. Um, it seems like all the Marvel relaunches are hanging in these sort of higher mid twenties. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm going to try to throw a light it. on Bob. So why don't you talk about those? <laughs> okay, if I could read them, I could, you know, uh, but all those numbers. Everything's going to come down. So we're to a point where you, we're looking at... Oh, I can almost see it now. Almost. If I had longer arms, I could actually read this piece of paper. That's okay. Anyway, uh, Electra number two is at 26,000. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, folks, but it's tough. Uh, <laughs> X, X Factor is at 24. She-Hulk is 25. Uh, Captain Marvel, 26. Uh, Ms. Marvel is the biggest one of the bunch at 34,000. Still holding mm-hmm. fairly strong. Interesting number. Superman Wonder Woman sells 47,000. What do you think Wonder Woman sells? What, that's at number 32. Um, 23. Well, you're low. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Now 28. Now it's going to go higher. Now 30. Hey. So that's, that's weird. Where the 17,000 people like Superman more than Wonder Woman, apparently. <laughs> I found um, something interesting. There's some things that will probably end up canceled. But I find it an interesting grouping, and there are four really low-selling DCs that are ones that you could almost say are the ones, well, they kind of deserve it for various reasons, artistically or writing, whatever. Uh, World's Finest, Catwoman, Red Hood, Birds of Prey are all hovering between fifteen and 21,000, and Oof. from number 115 to 143. World's Finest is gone. I don't think they can get rid of Catwoman. Red Hood, is that relaunched again? Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with Red Hood. I think they might be talking about that, yeah. And sadly, Batwoman's at 18, and Swamp Thing's at 18. Yeah, yeah. Swamp Thing wasn't even selling a ton when Snyder was writing it, so that oh, was really? off yeah. of it. Yeah, I mean, it was doing okay. I think it was like in the 30s or something like that, maybe low 40s. Um, but now with him off of it, I think it's going to be tough for that book to keep going. Even though it's been great, Soul's doing a fantastic job on mm. that book. Um, Saga, like, coming back at um, you know, the Saga number 19, um, at yeah. 55,000 just out of the top 20 by a very little bit yeah. and I was saying to Bob I, the one thing I wish is that you know you could click on these books and see kind of their sales history over a lifetime that would be cool because I know that Saga has been around that number for a while. I wonder though how it compares you know to the last volume the volume before that um, yeah, Southern Bastards did very well it did it absolutely did yeah. Yeah. I have, here's another interesting one the rumors about you know, the bleeding cool thing Fantastic Four canceled whatever mm-hmm. It's at 33,000. It's at number 65 and 66, actually, two issues this month. Mm-hmm. Not great, but it's outselling Captain America, Iron Man, and the Punisher. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, you know, for whatever's going wrong with the book as a mm-hmm. book, throw away $100,000 a month? I don't think so. Probably not. No, you can't afford to do that when you're in the comic book industry. Right. 
if that was a movie studio, they'd be like, how, that's how much we spend on <laughs> the forks at our craft table. Yeah. That's how much they spend for their, their craft table. Uh, Nailbiter, 22,000. Um, wow, that's awesome. Number one for a, such an ex- kind of intense horror book. It's a very, very good number. Um, Cowl, number one at 20. You know, a good debut. I, I'm not sure how much those imi- like how much career books like that need to sell to be worth it for the people who are writing it. You know, because that's who really who it affects. So I don't, I don't know how that how that would work, but um yeah united states of murder inc at eighteen thousand. Hmm. um so yeah but that book's i mean that that book already has two issues out which is very surprising but i can't imagine that book is going to be a regular book <laughs> considering how brilliant it went mm. um, <laughs> uh but um overall the top 300 comics sold 6.65 million copies which is down again five percent from the same month last year 18 down uh, it's up 18 percent though versus the same month five years ago up over 10 years ago and up over 15 years ago um was this may a wednesday short i don't know i'm not sure i, I, I don't remember I the date is what was this this year's may of wednesday short like four instead of five four it instead was five of five weeks last year oh i don't know uh, yeah i don't know um category to date for year so they've uh the, the comic injury has sold 31.93 million copies of you know single issues um that's down eight percent from last year um, you know, all comics sold by Diamond and Units was down six percent versus the same month last year. Um, interestingly, though, though, and this can speak to the 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 other part of the industry that we always talk about. All, even though um, it was down eight percent from last year as far as units sold, it was only down one percent from last year as far as mm. money they made. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, it was four. Uh, not five. Okay, so yeah. four Wednesdays in in May. All right, so yeah. it's equal. Yeah, yar. Well, with two ninety nine books going the way of the dodo. Yeah, it's it's so yes. And then the top three hundred trade paperbacks sold seven point two six million around the same thing, down seven percent. It's it, it, it seems like a very across the board, just down in general. Um, as far as those trades, which are down here, Walking like, Dead. Uh, no saga. A Batman hardcover volume four zero year. Um, wow. Was number one at uh, seven seventy seven hundred. Um, number two was Batman Volume Three: Death of the Family, which was seventy seven hundred as well. Uh, Black Science Volume One was number three at seventy five hundred. Nice. Um, a book that we'll hear from later from Stephanie. X Men: No More Humans was at number four with sixty seven hundred. Um, Black Canary and Zatanna, Bloodspell yes. at number five at Sweet. six thousand. Um, and also some of the the top ten was run out by Manifest Destiny, Hellboy and Hell Volume One, Saga Volume Three, Manhattan Projects Volume Four, and Godzilla Awakening hardcover. Wow! No, no Walking Dead. No Walking Dead. The show's <gasps> not on right now, so it's, I think take it's that yeah. Walking Dead. But take it's always Kirkman. been like I, as a salesman, like that used to work in a store that sold it. That shit sold even before. When Walking Dead wasn't on, so that's impressive. That yeah, no, th- yeah. some good sales. I mean, the, the impressive other to people other than Kirkman, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's doing fine. Um, Walking Dead Volume One was the 20th best-selling oh, graphic novel. Wow. Oh, I'm uh, so torn up about that. <laughs> I, it's amazing that it's still Walking Dead Volume One is the one that's is up there. Um, so yeah, so that so down and they're down month. I feel like we've been saying that a lot. Obviously, we've it's down for the year so far. Um, I just it, it doesn't even with the the numbers on original sin, it doesn't seem like people are reacting the same way to the bigger stuff mm-hmm. as passionately to the bigger stuff as they did last year. Um, and maybe that's that's a uh, because there was so much there's I feel like there was like four events last year 
that I feel like maybe that, that people are getting that burnout feeling or something and, and they're still buying it obviously, but it, it doesn't seem like it's, it seems like the disparity between like when we went from number, um, like from number 10 to, sorry, from number, sorry, from number seven to number six was almost like a 20,000 unit swing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so that feels like to me that there's a, a, a big dearth of that middle ground that people are, it seems like the middle ground people are buying less. Well, they really create that for themselves. If you center everything around Batman, mm-hmm. X-Men or Avengers or Justice League from you know, the Playfair 2 with each company, that money gets tied in. Mm-hmm. And you're buying those books because you need to then read all the story. And in the case of weeklies or the double ships and Marvel side of it, you're locking up people's money within those first few books. And then so everything else is going to find their way not to sell the way they should and if it's only a couple of thousand there are books being canceled yeah yes because i have to buy original sins plural <laughs> which was supposed to be something else now being rebranded and renumbered to fit into the other ones yeah. so that sort of to fool you into buying them because they're part of the other one when they're not mm-hmm. nice yeah <laughs> nicely done um six un, uh, for dc's business plan six of the top 20 books are their weekly books though so they're obviously they they made the right now they made the right bet on undoing those weekly books. So we'll see how it shakes out. The only thing that can foul that up is if for some reason it seems unlikely, but you have to remember for fifty years of their history their company was Superman, mm-hmm. and that changed. You know there was a quantum shift the other way. If people decided to not like Batman as much, Scott Snyder leaves the books go a little differently. Hmm. And you've got all your readership money tied up, and then people don't like it. Yeah. Do they buy other DC books? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Do, do they sample the other writers and then go away? Mm-hmm. It, it's a gamble. Yeah. It, it's a gamble that works for right now. Mm-hmm. Marvel does the same. It's all X Men, oh, Avengers, yeah. and Spider Man. So yeah. I'm, it's not like I'm picking on them. It's not the way things used to be. Though Superman was in seven books in the old days, if mm-hmm. you counted Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, mm-hmm. World's Finest. Right. They still spread the wealth. They were publishing a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Sugar and Spike and Jerry Lewis and <laughs> the Inferior Five and you name what else they were doing. Amazing comic book character, that Jerry Lewis. He was funny. <laughs> Much funnier in the comics than he was in <laughs> movies, if you ask me. He will be on my top five list next week. Trust me. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, lady! <laughs> oh, boy. He'll be on my list. Oh, man. I'm putting that in the post. <laughs> so you get to hear a, a Jerry Lewis impression by Bob, by Bob Ryer. Um... Speaking of, uh, we talked about books that are out, but uh, here are books that are coming out. We talked about event fatigue. We have Marvel's next event already being teased. We're not even through Original Sin yet, yeah. which is Axis, um, which is which is <laughs> agreed. Uh, Rick Remender is is helming that event, um, which would be awesome if the word event wasn't tied in with everything else to do with this. Yeah, um, art by Adam Kubert, Lionel Yu, Terry Dotson, and Jim Chang. Um, Jim Chung, sorry. Um, they they t- kind of talked this week about the structure of the event and how it's going to be, I, I believe, three three acts of three books. So each act will have a distinct like beginning, middle, and end and a feeling to it. Um, okay. Uh, if people don't know what Axis is, it's it's kind of the inverse of of AVX because it's Avengers and X Men teaming up to fight against this um, Axis of villains that are rising up in the Marvel Universe, led by um, Red Onslaught, who, if 
this is way back in Recommenders on Kenny Avengers. I think it was number four. That first four issues or so was about the Red Skull. Yeah, I remember that. Taking Xavier's brain and like yeah. putting it in his own and getting mental powers. Okay. And then he disappeared. This is like him coming out and trying to take over the Marvel Universe. Wow. Um, and I mean, the, the poster they released has uh, you know, Red Onslaught. Um, it has uh, Doctor Doom, Carnage, um, uh, Loki, and uh, Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin. And, and a blonde gentleman with a mustache, who I'm not sure who that is. <laughs> Sabretooth, perhaps? Could be. I'm See, not sure. Doctor Doom and the Red Skull don't work well together. They right. did that years ago mm-hmm. in supervillain team-up books and everything else. There's a real problem in that Victor Von Doom's a gypsy. Right. And Red Skull's a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Who, and I seem to remember they didn't get along. No. Well, we'll see what happens. Maybe the they'll odd, get along in this. The odd couple. Yeah. Maybe Doom will be the hero. Maybe maybe he will. But you got to remember, in April, time runs out. We heard that how many times? Yes, over, true. <laughs> so far, change the world forever. Forever, yeah. I, I, I can't even I can't even separate them anymore. Like what they all mean, what the difference yeah. is between them. But this sounds like yet another thing that I will like. I've read the Uncanny X Force, mm-hmm. and I started reading the Uncanny Avengers. But this is yet another big Rick Remender thing that you most likely will have had to have read stuff previous to get everything you want to get out of this event oh yeah totally mm. absolutely um i don't think it's going to be gentle with people jumping in yeah on it um he's also they also said that uh magneto will be a very big part of the um the event as well um possibly on the side of the good guys because a both red skull is a nazi and mm-hmm. b is using magneto's former best friends you know mind to take over the world so hmm. um and he, i think he, he also wants to exterminate mutants so that's not a good that's not a good matchup with the, no. with magneto's philosophies um yeah i mean look I, if it, I, I i like everything I'll, I'll give it a chance i'm not excited it's another event yeah. i love that's rick remender because i love rick remender and i feel like he's been on a real role lately but just like i agree totally with what stephanie said is that all of it sounds awesome the lineup sounds of artists sounds great the writer sounds great but if it was just a miniseries if it was a if it was just a storyline within uncanny avengers like then i would think okay awesome like this is this is a cool thing to have happen but mm. I, I i don't i'm not interested in dealing with the universe spanning events especially because we're right in the middle of that same thing right now <laughs> like I, we can we can yeah. just give me a little yeah. break i want a little break where i can just enjoy the books as they go no breaks you know before we no. we're, we're meant to deal with all this other stuff no, we came right out of Infinity nope. into yeah. what's still happening in Hickman's books. Yeah, into Original Sins. Yeah, and Spidey learning to crawl and mm. yeah, shit is crazy, <laughs> man. It's it's a lot. And there's no yeah, respite on the other side because it was Future's end. Yeah, no, it's not. There's no respite you know at all. from Forever Evil. Yeah, like I'm not I'm not super excited to read it. I'm interested to read it, but I feel like I almost have no choice but to read it because <laughs> we need to know what's going on. Do we to talk about it? Well, I'm with that's you, what Wikipedia is for. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We just had it's this talk about being burnt out, and mm-hmm. at this point in time, the events ruin comics for me more than they contribute to my love for them. And that's something I'm weeding out because I don't give a fuck about events, and I'm not giving my money to those companies that keep trying to steal our money and think that it's okay <laughs> to do these stupid things that derail everything. <laughs> Stephanie Cook. Yeah. Talking um, I perused them in the store. I've I did buy the original Sin Zero. Yeah, it was cute. Didn't mm. see <laughs> cute. Need, didn't cute. see any need to continue beyond that. So I'm with you, Steph. And I've read some books in between that are the tie-ins. 
Marvel puts a little blurb in the, what happened mm. in Original Sin that ties into this. I can figure it out. I've read comics a long time. Yeah. And I'm not giving them the extra money. I just... I, exactly. It's, yeah. But yeah, like, you know, it's something that we see, we've seen a lot of, and I think Eric Stevenson and some other people touched on it, you know, during that controversial speech where if we keep giving our money to the publishers for events and for variants, they're going to keep, you know, making them and putting them out. And it's not our responsibility to contribute to that. Like, I don't feel the need to tell people to read something and then tell people what I already know. I don't want anything to do with these events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that actually I, this kind of leads me to a, I don't remember who wrote it because I can't find out looking for it. We had someone I don't know his Twitter and Facebook talk about the John the Hickman thing, how we've been kind of talking about, how we haven't been in enjoying the books anymore. And he kind of said, where is the Hickman hate coming from? Yeah. Uh, and um, we kind of address it on the, on, on, I think it was Facebook. Um, it was on Twitter. Cause I, I answered it. Oh, okay. It was Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so it was on Twitter. Um, but for me personally, it's not, hate. I, I think that he's an excellent, excellent writer. It's just that his, his brand of storytelling is kind of tiring me out right now um and uh, what's what you would think that you know what would be good for the goose would be good for the gander you know what what works so well in fantastic four would do great stuff in avengers mm-hmm. um and it's something that hasn't been good because i've never i've never finished reading one of the books and been like this wasn't good and put it down you know i, I think infinity w- was probably the best marvel event i had read in a very long time um but i i feel like with fantastic four it's it felt much more on a personal level. You know, the stakes were smaller. There was, there was universe and global stakes, but they all came down to the, the people and how it affected the people in the books, the families in the the two books. And that's what changes things. It isn't as personal. Yeah. Tony and Steve aren't getting along. What else is new? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And like the the, the problem with that stuff is that it's just, when you keep going and the universe is going to end and the universe is going to end and the universe is going to end, it becomes just as effective to me as, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna eat Chinese food today. Like that's that's how dire it becomes to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, at, at a point, and it's and it's not that the quality of the writing because the quality of writing is great. It's just that for me right now, that sort of storytelling is not what is um, getting me excited to read books. So Steve and I were at a panel over the weekend, and. It was- Actually, no, you were not this one. It was Peter David and Chris Claremont. And they were just chatting, and Chris said, you know, about all this sort of stuff, we did Days of Future Past, mm-hmm. two issues. Mm-hmm. And he said, the first comic he ever bought was Fantastic Four 48 to 50, the, those three, the Galactus Trilogy. And Peter pointed out, yeah, and the first half of 48 is sort of the end of the Inhuman Saga, and the end of number 50, the last six pages, is Johnny going to college. Mm. So they told the Galactus trilogy in sort of two and a half issues. Right. And today that would be a year's worth of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not, not to any great boost to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Just that's the way it's done. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, let me see. I mean, Steve, you want to talk about the Hickman thing? Um, I just want to point out, I mean, using the term Hickman hate, mm-hmm. I think is a little extreme. The the whole hater thing gets yeah. thrown <laughs> thrown around a lot. Uh, especially when we we tend not to to like something uh, for a week or a while. Um, You just, you can't, I can't have 
love for all stories at all times. Um, my pull list is huge, mm-hmm. and I love Hickman. His Fantastic Four is probably my favorite thing I've ever read in comics. Uh, and I bit I was on board for Avengers number one and all through Infinity and all through that stuff. And I still really, really enjoy him as a writer. I started reading uh, Manhattan Projects and you know other things that he's involved in and stuff. Um, it was just like you said, it seemed like themes repeating themselves, and I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And the books were coming out really fast. Mm. You know, it, the it was double shipped. Felt like it was triple shipped some months. It was just, it was always uh, an Avengers world, an Avengers regular, an Avengers whatever to remain in this story that I didn't feel was, you know, gaining much ground. I would much rather wait until it's in trade and I can pick it up in at the end and read it in one big lump. I'd rather have it all together. Mm-hmm. With how dense his work is, I found that after a while, after feeling fatigued by the style of it and feeling like, Every time I sat down to read like three Hickman books in a row, I felt like I'd run a mental marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, I did, I really got tired of feeling that way. So at least if I go to trade and I sit down and I do it in one lump sum in one shot, I'll get the whole scope and I don't have to leave that mindset and that vibe and that world. I could stay in it for the duration and really like engross myself and entrench myself in it and enjoy it much more so than having to psych myself up for sitting down for a Hickman-style story where I've got, you know, worlds colliding and multiple dimensions and hopping and just, there's so much. Yeah. Well, and to me, the sorry. I'm sorry, no, the, uh, the difference with the Fantastic Four stuff is, to me, beyond the personal stakes of it, which certainly help matters, there was forward momentum always. And within the arc, there were little other stories going on. Then you'd get back to Reed and his dad and the machines and the bridge and all the other things. Here, three issues a month of, well, we lost a planet that we sort of got a glimpse of but didn't know who they were, so who cares? Oh, they're coming. Or here's the black swan and she talks about French fries or the (laughs) great. And meanwhile, the stuff that was really interesting, the Black Panther, Submariner stuff, that was just so engaging, Mm -hmm. disappeared for two months. Yeah, Doctor Strange had that great issue where he went hunting for new mystical stuff, and yeah, see, now I, he does nothing again. For me, what I'm missing from that, and what I'm missing from reading that stuff, is I'm missing the outcome of Strange going down into that like demon bazaar mm-hmm. and asking for those powers. I don't know how that panned out because I haven't been reading it. I want to know, and then also all the stuff that they kept from Cap, and apparently that came out. That's the well, he's mad. Right, but that's really all we. But he fi- but he finally found out that they kind of like wiped him and, and yeah. left him out of the equation. Mm-hmm. I I want to know what happened with that, but I nothing just, yet. Mm-hmm. All right, well, see, that's the thing. That's why I'm waiting because yeah. I can't I can't give my four dollars that week and then another three dollars the next week and all that stuff to not have my answers and my resolution mm-hmm. for those situations. Where so much other stuff that's going on is just, it's just going on. It's just in the background, you know? Absolutely. So. And Stephen, you've, you've always kind of felt that way about Hickman, right? You, you only want to read that stuff in, in some sort of like bulk format. Yeah, it's too much. Like, he, he's a world builder, which is great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with somebody who, you know, wants to think of these grand places for us to get absorbed in. But it's too much at, at, for like just to do episodically. It needs to be, you know, I need to watch it in season form. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, and I looked up on Twitter, it's, uh, it was Team Scott, who is uh, Astonishing X-Fan uh, on 
Twitter. Thank you ah. for writing in with that. It's a, it's a good discussion to have. Um, and Bob, you brought up, I want to kind of transition that you brought up, um, this past weekend. So this past weekend, um, was special edition, uh, New York city and which is read pops kind of comic-con on the side, I guess mm-hmm. is what, yeah. what you would call it. Um, and we have some interviews going up uh, later in the show that uh, Steve and Bob recorded. Yep. Um, we're going to be hearing from, well, um, well, I don't know the name of the Kickstarter people that you interviewed. Oh, here. Um, their book is called, uh, we'll be talking about it shortly, but their book is called Spirits, the Soul Collector. And that's Colin Lawler and Joseph Grabowski. Mm. Um, we're talking here from Will Sliney. And we're yep. also going to hear from Gail Simone, who Bob and Steve had the pleasure of talking to at the con. So you hear those interviews wonderful, wonderful. later in the show. Um, but let's talk about you guys' experience at the show. Um, just Bob, first impressions. You know, walking onto in, into the into the room. First of all, really interesting. Having gone to the October shows, you you didn't see all these people in the streets. Mm-hmm. You didn't know there was a con going on. It wasn't a whole crowd of cosplayers walking across Manhattan. But the it was very comic book centric show and so the people there nice mix of older folks younger a lot of kids which was nice uh young girls young boys teenagers and little ones with with parents without you know some have been dropped off a lot of people serious a lot of serious books being picked up lots of want lists and so on and so forth on that level they completely succeeded i think in getting that sort of person how much confusion there was that this wasn't attended in the way you'd, I'm sure they would have liked 150,000 people. Mm-hmm. But the room was crowded and there was a, there certainly was a buzz. People were very, very excited. And we were, we were about halfway back when we got there, what, 40 minutes ahead, Steve, yeah. something like that. By the time we started to move in, the line had probably tripled behind us. Yeah. So people were really, really into it and they went running across the floor. It was. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not as young as I used to be. They beat us across the room. That wasn't happening. But it was great. You walked through, it, people who've come before, the first part of what was Artist Alley was all comic book vendors. Hmm. It was a couple of people with toys and a couple of things like that. This was not people selling uh, Japanese hard candy on a stick. This was not all that sort of tchotchke stuff on the side comic books lots of them dollar bins two dollar bins trade paperbacks archives pulp magazines you name it they were all over the place mm-hmm. so that was, it was good to see that focus and getting to these creators well if you maybe you waited a couple of exceptions gail Simone was one uh, the all reds another where there were lines yeah the whole weekend basically you waited behind five or six people wait 10 15 minutes You'd not only get your stuff signed and, and be able to buy prints and books and the rest of it, but actually have real conversations. The stress level was way, way down. Oh, God. Very yeah. easy going. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, everything was in basically that one room, right? One room. The only real problem with this show was, uh, Stephanie, I'd love to hear this, <laughs> the, the downstairs uh, holding pen area, Steph, mm-hmm. completely closed off. They're retiling everything. <laughs> so Artist Alley, Vendors North, the panels, the other end of the building. Okay, so you were a five minute walk from one side to the other, but it wasn't it wasn't a like going through a cattle. Yeah, I was gonna. Oh, I was gonna pen. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, the amount like when we were first walking to the panels, we were kind of like surprised. Um, aside from construction, there was also a huge um, like not city wide, but I guess like borough wide graduation oh, yeah, going right. on yeah. in okay. the basement. 
um, just tons and tons of parents and grandparents and kids and stuff all filing out the same time that the con was over on Saturday. Mm. So that was going on. And they put us in the panel rooms on the other side of the building. But for the the, the fact that there was no waiting through people, yeah. what would have normally taken you a good maybe 20 minutes to get over to catch the whole thing, you could be there in five minutes. Mm-hmm. So it was a trade-off. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, it was a little surprising at first and the security was oddly uh tight for those (laughs) things like even to use the escalator you had to show your pass and not even show your pass but like explain where you were going and what you were doing but they did direct you to them they told you what room where it was yeah but it was they probably didn't rent the entire convention center so they that's probably why yeah but i i asked them to use the bathroom and they had to think about it (laughs) so That was a little odd. Yeah. The security was interesting. They did have a notice. I, I want to really want to pay attention with the flack about San Diego. Mm-hmm. Very specifically in the book that harassment would not be tolerated for any reason. Please report yeah. it. No signs, though. Mm-hmm. No signs posted. Anywhere, but made you know, in bold print in the book and a whole list of things you couldn't do and the, mm-hmm. the usual sort of weaponry and also no aerosol mustard. And uh, <laughs> of course, like whatever, whatever lines that were there, like we said, for Gail Simone and for Mike Allred and, and Laura Allred, um, they were managed far better than I've ever seen at one of the Comic Cons. I don't know if it's just too big an event or it's a different team. Yeah, and I think they, it's just the big of the side of the event. But um, they, they actually had people actively saying, like, if you went up to the desk and there was a line, they pointed it out to you and they're like, you know, you got to go over here. And they were sending people up to, you know, the the areas where the creators were two at a time mm-hmm. you couldn't go up until the other left um which caused a bit of a wait sometimes there were people that were shopping and not necessarily talking with the creator and they're flipping through like the original art books and those things are pretty thick mm-hmm. so we waited uh to get up to mike and laura Allred probably about a good 15 minutes on this one couple and uh it was it was pretty intense because mm-hmm. the line was pretty big and they're just mm-hmm. like you know do to do um but i mean other than that the setup was really cool. I really enjoyed being able to breathe and not breathing in funk for the <laughs> afternoon. Uh, just the amount of people that were there. If people were going to something like this for comics and for creators and looking for deals, every I didn't see one vendor that didn't have like 50% off, buy two, get one free. You know, everybody was unloading their stock, mm-hmm. local mm-hmm. shops, shops around the city, whatever. Um, really cool. I mean, I got a couple of really good deals. I found an American Vampire Volume Three for eight bucks. Um, got to. I mean, I, there's a list. I, I got a number of really cool things, but um, just the overall vibe of it. It had all of that stuff from New York City Comic Con, just smaller and much more manageable. Yeah, and um, lots of time to to talk with creators. It's just having the one. Like I had the one day there. It was tough because they would be busy and they're there to make money and they're yeah. to see the fans and stuff that you kind of had to bounce around to to them and, and wait for your chance but mm-hmm. once you got to sit down with them it was great mm-hmm. yeah i mean i didn't get to go because uh, i was working but you know that that sounds amazing because when i think of near comic-con all i think about is that moment germany where, like, you're an artist obviously. alley and you have an appointment <laughs> at, on the show floor yeah. at like the dc booth and this isn't go you know this is a very specific you know, mm-hmm. you know, issue for people who end up being pressed or something there. But that feeling of like, okay, my appointment's at 3.30, it's 2.45, I have to leave because I need to make sure I get there on time. Yeah. The, all of that chaos is removed. Yeah. You know, it's just, you can, 
you could just walk right up. Or if not, if you can't go up at that very minute, they'll at least see you and like wave you on and be like, you know, oh, just you know, That's cool. one second. That's cool. Yeah. And the companies were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marvel had a little booth, nothing much. A place to sign and give away watchers' eyeballs and Valiant stuff was like there. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Valiant was there, and a couple was it Devils Do publishing? Devils Do. Yeah. They yeah. were there. Did DC um, have a booth there? No, no, no. I guess they didn't really they have made, a booth at New York Comic Con. No, they, they had, had like the those weird display. Like, they displays. had Batman standees. Okay, of like eight different Batmans, all different eras for the seventy fifth anniversary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they did make. Uh, I think his name is Wilkinson. Uh, why am I? Th- I wrote it down somewhere. It's <laughs> at home. Who uh, did the Batman seventy five panel? Oh, okay. Well, you notice we you know we don't have a display. Well, there's kind of a reason for that. Mm. And then didn't go into it. There was some nervous laughter from the people on the stage. <laughs> I assume it's because they're moving. Yeah. Yeah, they are moving. Yeah. Th- th- it's right around now that I think it's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, but overall, it sounds like a, like a cool show. Yeah. yeah. I so, mean, it, it was New York City Comic Con mm. with the chaos removed. It was yeah. really nice to go in there, uh, even if it was just for the day, just to catch up with people, say hello, get a couple interviews, mm-hmm. um, pick up some books, and got to talk to a lot of like people that are doing independent books and they're, they're pushing their stuff or they have Kickstarters that are going on, you know, they were there mm. and they sat a lot of creators that were friends with one another together in the same aisles and such. So if you went to one, you could usually get like a couple of people like the, um, there was a book that I bought um, from Rachel Deering. It's a horror, a horror anthology. Yeah, the one she yeah, just in the dark. In the yeah. dark, yeah. So I picked that up and I got that from James Tinian. So like mm. James Tinian sold it to me. He signed it. I moved down the way. Marguerite Bennett was right there. Met her. She signed mm. it. Uh, and just moved down the line. They're like all of a sudden I had four signatures of contributors on that book and I just bought the thing. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had Gail sign Red Sonia yeah. and uh, Jenny Prison was just, you know, mm. yeah. 20 feet away. Uh, Jamie Rich was sitting next to the All Red, so I got them yep. to sign my It Girl. Cool. Which was kind of neat. Awesome. Oh, you went back to him to do that? Yeah. That's and a, he also oh, signed man, my awesome. FF poster. The, the All Red signed my FF promo poster. Yeah, he signed my Madman Volume 1. And awesome. uh, I'll be talking but, about his book uh, a little bit later on the podcast. But awesome. Two things I was really happy with Jeff Darrow, who, who did Big Guy and Rusty. Oh, wow. She uh, talked about was, last week. Was, was there, yeah. And he signed it. Not only did he sign it, he drew. <laughs> Oh, really no cool way. dinosaur in it. Oh, that's awesome. And we, we just started chatting because there was no one at his booth because no one even knows who he is at this point, I guess. Mm-hmm. We spent a half hour talking about dinosaur movies in the Museum <laughs> of Natural History. and That's so cool. All that other sort of weird stuff. But my favorite, I, I, showed, I sent a uh, link out to Stephanie of this and I just showed Karen who just, just walked through the room. I found this the, the last day. Carolyn Coca found it for me who was my running mate the second day because everyone was in front of this guy's table. His name was Bill Walco. And he does all these odd little things. Oh, wow. Oh, that's sweet. It, it is a reimagining of the Breakfast at Tiffany's uh, one sheet, but only in this time it's Selena Kyle in Break-In at Tiffany's. <laughs> and she's up in the background. Instead of it being George Papard, it's Batman. <laughs> that's really so, cool. It's Ten bucks. It was really cool. I got a uh, Ms. Marvel by Joe Eisman. Oh, that was great. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really sweet. Nice. Awesome. Um, so what was your favorite moment at the show, Bob? <sighs> That's really tough. We saw some interesting panels. Uh, we saw the All Red Spotlight, which is good, which went yep. all over the place. Yeah. Where he has, uh, he has famous artists do him sketches. And is it the Frank Frazetta one that he lost yes. to Thomas Jane? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he's gonna, I'm going to get that back from him someday. <laughs> the fact that uh, Madman Poops 
in, yeah, the, in, in the comic. It, right. He poops as he's falling through space. It was like a, like a 16-year debate on whether or not he was pooping, and he just revealed this show that it is, in fact, him pooping. It's yeah, pretty funny. Uh, Batman 75 panel was very good, certainly. The uh, Marvel's next big thing was interesting. Yeah. There's no no special no special news, but you see you left. The commentary was really cool. Yeah. However, for it to be called the next big thing, and I I got like almost no new information aside from I didn't know about it. The Deadpool versus Hawkeye mm-hmm. was yeah. I guess announced or talked about, and that was the only thing book wise that I didn't know about mm-hmm. from the next big thing. Right, so yeah, it was yeah. just instead of it being like a preview of things to come, it was just kind of like. We're going to talk about stuff that was in Previews Magazine two mm. months ago. Yeah, well. yeah, but you don't hear about Squirrel Girl versus Hercules. No. See? <laughs> See, you missed that. You missed that entirely. That was Peter Davis' um, joke for well, the day. I, I, They're not going to use that this show as a platform to announce anything big because it's not a big show. Oh, them. but that would be so cool yeah. to drop like a little, yeah. little bomb. They got Comic-Con yeah. coming up in yeah. less than a month. Uh, <laughs> we went to the Reimagining Female Heroes, which was great, which was Jenny Frizen, Margaret Bennett. Great. Uh, mm. Gail Simone, they asked him, you know, what started them, a lot of Wonder Woman, She-Ra, so on and so forth, you know, had had they experienced negativity in between, and Marguerite Bennett was saying she was, for a while, considering using her initials, mm. yeah, so that she wouldn't be a girl writing, writing books, and it's sort of, no, we're just not going to do that, and they asked Jenny Frizen about the Red Sonia covers. Yes. And it's, well, it's not about what she's wearing, it's about how she presents herself, and mm-hmm. she's a strong character, and so she didn't even think about, uh, with a lot of us, I even said this to Gail when I interviewed her, mm-hmm. wasn't a fan of Red Sonia until you start reading it presented in a different way. Wasn't it Gail who said that she was first asked to go under a, a male name? Well, because she's Gail, it could have been anything. Is, is this so, the interview? No. no. Okay, just make sure. No, no, he's not in the interview. <laughs> okay. That's why we're doing the, okay. this stuff in the panel, not the interview questions, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, until you started seeing her picture mm-hmm. that people sort of knew. And she was very assertive mm-hmm. to that point. You know, the things are changing. The things mm-hmm. are getting better. So there's still problems. She described that panel that they were at in Florida where the, all the Red Sonia artists were sitting around with her and they were discussing, you know, the outfit and everything else. And the female artists have a much different take. Well, you have to talk about you know, the weight of the underboob. Yeah, and and what it would really look like on a real woman, and not some pneumatic whatever. Mm. And she would you wouldn't see the male artist sitting around having right, this, no. having this conversation. But the, the most fun, honestly, my moment for the weekend beyond all these great people I got to talk to, which certainly special. But as a panel, it was the Peter David Chris Claremont show, where <laughs> for an hour they were just cracking wise at each other over. Well, how many characters did you say you create, Chris? Seven hundred and three. Well, which one is your favorite? I don't know. I have no idea. Just back and forth and back and forth. And uh, Peter saying how his dad wouldn't let him buy Marvel comics because the characters were ugly. (laughs) Buy those DC books. They're just nice folks over there. These monsters. What are you buying that crap for? (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. I hope they'll do more of these. The vibe of this was very old-timey, but new in the same way. That there were young people there. You know, teens early 20s, and little ones. Mm-hmm. There's a future for this, and you know you could see it. Uh, Franco was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all that bunch, a lot of young skewing stuff, a lot of pony things and whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's hope. Yeah, I mean, we don't have th- this kind of show around here. We don't have a show that has, it's, you know, we have little shows, very little shows, and then we have the giant show. We don't have kind of like this, this middle tier show mm-hmm. that is focused on comics and some of the stuff that, you know, Stephanie, you would talk about some of the shows you get to go to that are these, like, amazingly comic-focused 
mm-hmm. um, you know, comic book conventions. We don't really have that, you know, here. And if this can be that, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, see, what was your favorite moment? Honestly, my favorite moment was the Gail Simone interview and just holding the microphone and, <laughs> and passing it back and forth between Bob and Gail. Um, I know that it, it definitely meant something to Bob to be interviewing her and to be talking with her and just to be like, we hung out behind her booth for a good half hour and change, maybe more. And just us sitting like right beside her for that duration of time and watching the fans come up and have things signed and purchasing things from her table and just asking all these really interesting questions and seeing the fan reactions to her work and just her presence. I mean, there were people that were genuinely freaking out that Mm. they were even talking to her. Um, I love seeing stuff like that because it, it keeps a lot of things in check that, you know, I'm a fan first mm-hmm. and um, just really, really uh, a heartwarming scene, that whole that whole exchange. And she was wonderful. And her husband was wonderful. And there were two girls hanging out behind the booth that were helping out. And they were, you know, keeping things light and whatnot. And the idea that she was super swamped and super busy but still knew who we were and took the time to, she made the time for us to get that interview in um, and was just awesome. Yeah. Made the time for every fan that came up to her. Yeah. And some were telling, you know, stories we were forced to eavesdrop with because we were just sitting there, but to just hear the the characters that affected them, Oracle or or Mm. Vengeance Moth or whatever, uh, all of them through the years. It's, It's just really touching yeah she's to be touched by someone else's story yeah yeah she's all all pro like it was it was handled beautifully the Mm -hmm. whole exchange so that was my favorite part it's not like her twitter account (laughs) no it's funny (laughs) because i you know i've interacted with her before and it's just it's such a it's there Mm -hmm. but i don't know i just i i've always had sort of misgivings with her when we first got started into this thing but after this and after the last couple months i have a lot of respect for her and just the way that she operates as a human being as a person because she's she's kind of all over the place Mm -hmm. and a a person that can be all over the place but still keep it together to write these great stories and be this tremendous force within the industry and just be this name i it was really really cool to Mm -hmm. meet her and just meet somebody like that um i find those people interesting awesome she's apparently been invited to the white house yeah to speak about people with disabilities. Oh yeah, I heard about yeah. that. Yeah, they did that other thing. Um, well, it sounds like it was a great time. It was. Yeah, um, you were missed. I, I wish I could have been there. It was, I, I, it was painful. I was looking at like when I was working, I was looking at Twitter and seeing all the, like people there and everything. Like that it was, it was, it was rough. But um, funny, we didn't see any of our. Well, it was a much smaller there. show. Yeah. Such a smaller mm. show. You know, a lot of the local people that we usually at the shows didn't weren't even didn't even go. You know, so yeah. Though I did get, we have a new forum member who saw me yakking to the guy at the comic book legal defense fund table, <laughs> a fellow named Neil who lives in Manhattan. Mm. I thought that was you. You should just come over. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, don't bite <laughs> often. Um, so we did have the great grilled cheese sandwich on the way. That was home. my, I, see, I didn't know if I was allowed to say two parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We went to like a food fair afterwards. We were trying to meet up with Will Sliney mm. at uh, really Legends Square, Bar. Over mm. by sixth. Uh, yeah. And uh, we were going to watch the World Cup with him, and it was just too much chaos. Mm. That place was packed out. We couldn't find him the whole bit. But um, Rob and I ended up getting three cheese, grilled cheese sandwiches, and sitting in the middle of like a blocked off intersection at two chairs with the, all the city bustling all around us, and we're just 
chilling out, eating, you know, Parmesan and blue cheese and sharp cheddar grilled cheese sandwiches with some soda. Sounds like a good grilled cheese. I ate, oh, a, I ate a tomato in mine. No, mm, even better. Bottom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, big, big, Delicious. Yeah. Hollow bread pressed nice. down. and It was one of those, like, look around and look up and just, like, I, I fucking love New York. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, so you guys will hear those three interviews I mentioned uh, later on the show. There's a few more interviews as well that we'll release as a, as an extra show um, later this week as well. So, um, and we'll hear more about some books. I think that you got that at least I know that Steve saw when, yep. he, when he was there in, in a few minutes. But let's go on to our lightning round. Stephanie, hi. You're gonna start us off with a lightning round. Okay. Because you can. Because I know you, I, I was. There's really nothing for you to say there, right? Because you didn't go to the show, obviously. I didn't. Yeah. Um. So, are you ready to lightning round? I am. All right, here we go. And lightning round, go. So, my first title is Raid Number One from Valiant. I know, Valiant, we're talking about it. <laughs> um, so, I'm not even going to attempt to try and explain what this is about. It's kind of like District B13, um, but in Japan, where for a thousand years, no one has ever been murdered in the city. Um, and the start of the comic you know, a murder happens. So it's a big deal. And, um, the sectors in the city all call this guy named Ray R A I. Uh, mm. and he's like the minion of their father, the person who runs the city, um, or the country rather to kind of figure out what's happening. Uh, and the reason I'm talking about this is because while the story it's by Matt Kint, um, mm. and it's, pretty dense it's like kind of hickman uh kind of density where it's throwing a lot it has a big old case of first issueitis um but the art is stunning um i'm gonna quickly pull up the artist here his name is clayton crane and it's almost dexter soyish in the sense that it's painterly and there's some moments where like the hair you can see the brush strokes and mm. the art is just really beautiful. And Ooh. I can't believe that this is a monthly series that's coming out. Um, so I wanted to mention it because I was really impressed with it. I don't know if I'm going to read this monthly, but I'd be interested to check out at least the first volume of the trade once more of the story's laid out and I can kind of not have to go back to it to figure out what has happened. Mm -hmm. um, and then... <sighs> the new arc of Rachel Rising started with issue number 25. I don't think I talked about it. It's still carrying on the story of Rachel and Jet, uh, but minus the Lilith shenanigans. <laughs> so um, some new stuff has come up, and they're trying to, you know, work it out. Still good. Love it. Uh, Velvet, number five, that's the conclusion to um, the series, or the first arc, not the series. Uh it was great. I, it's been a while since I read the last stuff, so it seemed a bit... The the details on what happened before were a bit fuzzy to me, um, but I thought this issue was cool, and I love the art, I love the story, and I think it's going to be a really big hit amongst the people who choose to check this out when it's collected. Um, I think that's it. Cool. You, you, had, you had 10 seconds left, so good job. Yes! Um... I really thought that it was Rye, not Ray. That's what I thought. Just because I, I, I didn't even think about it. Um, 
I saw that booth for that comic at the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, uh, the artwork description you gave Steph is right on. It looks awesome. Um, it's really cool. To check out the uh, the Valiant podcast to hear more oh, about yeah, all of this Valiant business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but, three you know, just went up. Everyone can stop wagging their finger. I read something. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I wagged my finger at you. Uh, um, like that. Just rude. Very rude. <laughs> uh, all right, Steve. Yo. You ready to lightning round? Uh, let me get my notes. Got a lot to say in a very short period of time. Are you ready? <laughs> no. no <I'm> <laughs> the storm <laughs> is coming. All right, I'm good. Uh, lightning round. Go. All right, so as you know, we went to Special Edition New York City, and one of the creators that I met was Jamie S. Rich. He was next to the All Reds, and I picked up his book, The Mind's Arrow, Archer Co. and the Thousand Natural Shocks. That's a mouthful. Mm. So uh, this book is about a hypnotist who can talk to cats, uh, is pulled into a deadly mind game after a billionaire asks that he reads his wife's mind in the hope of that he taps into her desires for him. He wants to be desired by her again. He feels that the love is going away and he wants this hypnotist to basically broaden his his wife's mind. Things go very bad when a murder goes most foul and many more after that and the hypnotist gets roped into this weird um like cat and mouse type murder mystery situation. The artwork is really cool. It's kind of Bruce Timmish. If you want to think of Batman, the animated series, it's all black and white. Uh, It's from Oni press and it's a really interesting story. I will say though, about three quarters of the way through it, I feel like it kind of got away from itself in that. I don't know if it was me or if maybe the execution of the story uh, was kind of off, but it got very Twin Peaks-ish towards the end, and a lot happened, a lot of time jumps. Like, this happened before, this is happening now, this may or may not be a voice inside of your head kind of stuff. So I can't go 100% on it being all good, but I did enjoy it, and I am looking to read it again to kind of gain a a better perspective of what was going on. Um, Very entertaining book. Again, that was... The Mind's Arrow, Archer Co., and The Thousand Natural Shocks. The other book that I want to talk about, if I have time, is Spirits, The Soul Collector. We mentioned this earlier. This is by Colin Lawler and Joseph Grabowski. How am I doing on time? You got a minute. Yeah. I got You're a minute. Good. All right. Um, blah, blah, blah. This is a story of Will and Kenny. They're two brothers, and they are basically off to spend time with their nana or their aunt. And she happens to live in a very a place of high fantasy, and she is what you call a seer or a guardian of the spirits. Uh, long story short, they go to stay the night. Little brother gets taken, and it's up to the non-believer big brother to get him back. Um, if you guys are a fan of Sam Keith artwork at all, this book has uh, that written all over it with uh, Miyazaki influence as well. Uh, story's really, really well written. It's kind of in the vein of like an old Clive Barker book. Uh, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, a book called The Thief of Always. Um, just if you're into super high fantasy stuff, kid friendly, this is kind of serves as kind of a zero issue. And they have a Kickstarter that is uh, up right now trying to get this book out to everyone. Yes! And he did it. Yes! Nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right on the nice. nose. Yep. Um, and the, this, we're going to hear from them later in the show, correct? Yep. Yeah, so you'll hear more about this book later in the show. Now, Jamie Rich, when we were talking to him uh, about Thousand Natural Shocks, and I'll try not to break into Shakespeare and Hamlet. Okay. It's to be or not to be. That's where that's from. Yes. So uh, <laughs> he was talking about it being very sort of pulpy, Mandrake the Magician. I really enjoyed it. It's just towards the end, it got really big. It got really big conceptually, and I felt like I felt like somebody had flipped a switch, and all of a sudden, I had a lot more to deal with than I had pages before. Mm. Um, not necessarily they were rushing to the end; that there was just there was a, a a nuance, there was an angle of the story that I wasn't quite following from the beginning, and I should have been um, because there's a character that's in this that, as far as I can tell, went very unexplained. Um, and that confused me. So, but a second read perhaps is one of those things. I'm hoping it's just, like, I yeah. want, I want you to borrow it okay. because I, I gave you moving pictures a while back and you kind of gave me, you know, a different angle on it that I appreciate in a different way. I'm hoping that that happens with this and that perhaps I just missed something. Okay. Um, I, I don't regret picking it up. It was, it was fun. I just felt very lost towards the end. A lot happening. A lot of weird the mood Weird. changed. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, okay, it got, yeah. it, it got twin peaks on me hmm. and I usually really get into that and really enjoy it here. I felt a little lost. Mm. Right. If you've got one thrust happening and then you go into La La Land, all of a sudden it could be entertaining or it could be what yeah. the heck. It, just it's one of there? those, you know, all right, I got you. I got you. I got you. I do. Okay. <laughs> what? All right. I got it. I got it. I got it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't got, got it. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Bob, Bob sent his list of his lightning round books. There's like 10 of them. I know. I don't know that I can do it now because there's not enough. Li- ah. He's oh, just going to wind up seeing the titles. Yeah. This no. good, this bad, this well, now we don't like. Have, we don't have enough light is maybe, <laughs> maybe the problem. So let's let's try this. You ready? Uh, can we maybe shine that in this direction? <laughs> Steve, use your flashlight on your iPhone. All right. <laughs> no, I'm going to I'll get Bob some light. There also could be another explanation for why it's off. Keep, keep vamp, guys. Vamp. <laughs> Here, Bob. I'm gonna. Whoa! You gonna whoa! Get, get earthquake, man. Oh, all right, Bob. I'm gonna break out my handy ah. dandy. Oh, there, oh, there we, we go. go. Let there be light. I was just gonna say that. You're too late. Obviously. But you could break into Hamlet if you'd like. We could, I don't know. To Hamlet be or not like to be. Do. That is the question. Are you ready? Whether it is nobler in the mind I to suffer the, the slings and, and arrows. arrows of outrageous fortunes, or by opposing yeah, whatever. Okay, go. Billy Madison. All right, here we go. And lightning round. Uh, Avengers number 19. Jonathan Hickman, Valerio Scheide. The final incursion? Yeah, two worlds, heroes battle, more of the same. Is it too late? It is for me. Uh, Nightcrawler 3, Chris Claremont, Todd Nock. It's Kurt Amanda and Margulie. This is so classic. The art is just great. It's a fun-loving Kurt. Great moments with Logan back at the school as they compare notes about being dead and alive and dead and alive and such. Uh, if you haven't picked this up in your ex-fans, Nightcrawler, get the trade when it comes out. Original Sin tie-in and All New Invaders number 6, James Robinson, and it is now Mark Laming this time around. It's a sin of World War II and the granddaughter of Golden Girl, who is actually the partner of Captain America, but it's not that one. It's the in-between cap from 1947 that Roy Thomas wrote, blah, blah, blah. It's about the bombing of Hiroshima and could the torch have done something to prevent it. So that's a good one. She-Hulk number five, Charles Soule, but new art by Ron Wimberly, which is pretty bizarre looking art. For those people who are mm. complaining about uh, Javier Polito, 
come back soon. We miss you. Uh, there's a real trippy sequence with Hellcat and Tigra where it kind of works and it would be interesting as a dream sequence in between but for the whole book it gets kind of scratchy and weird looking and the faces are strange and still a great book but whatever Captain Marvel number four Kelly Sue DeConnick David Lopez Lee Lockridge on covers Carol as ambassador it doesn't work out quite the way you she would hope or anybody else does but by the end of this you've put together the family that begins in the first pages of the first issue her space mission is really really interesting the art on this has really been changing it is still superhero-y but it's now begun to get a little daring a little artsy so for those people who were thinking the other way around that we'd gone too far the other way we're now getting some of that stylistic stuff just a heck of a lot of fun and of course it's just going great then how much time do i have left do i have enough time for lumberjanes number three Yes, you do. You have a minute left, Bob. Look at that. Wow. Look at that. I'm <laughs> rocking it out. Um, it's Noelle Stevenson and why, uh, Grace Ellis and Brooke Allen on this. We are now, it's the, their rafting trip went, went haywire and they end up falling down into some giant cave, which has weird statues that need to be arm wrestled into submission. And of course, uh, little Ripley thinks that this cave has been created by, I bet it was the holy kitten. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big flaming pink kitten with a halo and robes and just amazing. You get this. It's a very smart book because how many books, comic books do you know that have the Fibonacci sequence mentioned in it as a way to get past uh, a, like a, death, a death trap? Mm-hmm. Just a super fun book. Now, this story seems to end that first arc. So this could be the place where I can jump off and then buy. There's going to be an ongoing. I'll buy the next trades or whatever. Mm-hmm. But pick up Lumberjanes if you haven't already. Done. One second left. Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. This moves very, very quickly, but I got to tell you, from the first, I think it happens again, it gets stuck. <laughs> it won't turn off. I think we're going to be seeing, I mean, I think we had it last year, but I think we'll definitely be seeing the Boom Archaea label on the end of the year list for publishers. It's possible. Absolutely. They've, they've got some really great books coming out. The uh, But ever since you mentioned All New Invaders, uh-huh. I've had the Golden Girls theme song stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so because sorry. You said Golden Girl. I don't know that theme song. Come on. I don't. Come I've never on. I've never seen Thank an episode you of the Golden being Girls. A friend. No, I don't know that one. <laughs> you can't, it's on every minute yeah, somewhere. Yeah. You couldn't have missed it. I watched a lot of Golden Girls with my with my family. Oh. <laughs> In between the Antiques Roadshow? No. It's way before the Antiques Roadshow. Come on. <laughs> OG Golden Girls. I'm talking about when it was on the air. I forgot on <laughs> mix start making old people jokes. Um All right. My turn for lightning round. And go. Justice League United, number two. Jokes not landing very, very well. I think some of the, the pithy dialogue is not so pithy. The story is interesting, and the human interactions I find um, really, really cool. Um, Shudder, number three. Uh, Joe Keating and Lila Del Duca. Um, I mentioned uh, catching up on this uh, a week or so ago. And uh, l- loved issue number three. Um, some intense stuff happens, some really funny stuff happens. It's like great balance. It, it really feels like this is Joe Keating kind of un- unleashed, like as much Joe Keating as he can possibly be. <laughs> yeah. It's not him trying to be somebody else, not trying to make a book like somebody else. It's his book and it, it's really, really great. Um, uh, we have uh, Morella and the Murders in the Rue Morgue which is another um, Richard Corbin, Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. It's a combination of two stories, the story of Morella and the story mm-hmm. of murders in the Rue Morgue. Um, beautiful artwork, really weird, kind of you know dark humor. Uh, the murders in the Rue Morgue story is very, very cool. And, you know, I, I did a lot of studying of Poe when I was in college, and 
you know, it's kind of the proto detective story. Mm-hmm. It's where they kind of all come from. You know, you, you have very much Poe to thank for Sherlock Holmes, you know, kind oh, of yeah. existing. It, the, 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 the detectives in Murders in the Rue Morgue are the first instance of those logic based uh, crime solvers appearing in, in a work of, uh, of popular fiction. Um, and, and it's, it's fascinating to, to revisit that here with this cool art and the, the, the the depiction of the ape spoilers guys if you guys don't know the story of Runners yeah. the Room Morgue it's like two hundred year old story yeah. um it, the, the the detective fi- figures out that it is not a human being doing the, in the murdering it's it's a it's a beast and the depiction of the ape is really scary in, in the book it's just a really really cool adaptation all of these Richard Corbin Poe adaptations have been really awesome um the art is so bizarre but just is, is so awesome. Um, I recommend them to anybody who has any interest in Poe. Um, it's, 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 they're great reads. Um, and uh, finally, in my lightning round, I have the the mental gymnastics of all new X Men number twenty eight, <laughs> which is a book that we, we're in hyperdrive right now as far as the storylines go. The story has gone in a place which I, I didn't really expect it to go. Revisiting kind of the the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, the ones that popped up in Battle of the Atom. But here we deal with where they came from, but because of all the, the weird time things and, and how they develop, like the order in which they, they've come to be and the order in which they, they, they make their decisions to do the things they do is very hard. It's not hard. To, it is hard to follow, but it's, it's, it, it bends your mind because it, when in fact that them coming back in time to fight the X-Men, does that initially lead to them forming in the first place? Like that's yeah. kind of the, what, what is being posited here. Uh, having evil Xavier, my time is up. Having evil Xavier around has been cool. You know, Xavier's son, yeah, who is kind of the evil version of him, has been really, really cool. Mm-hmm. It, it's been a lot of fun. I know Steve that you were you were talking about it before <laughs> yeah. off air. I mean, I'm still I'm still really enjoying it, but that that issue gave me a headache. <laughs> I was it jumps around. I think more in that one issue than in in the entirety of that story that's been going on. Um, that's being dramatic. No, I'm I still really enjoy it. I love the art, oh, but yeah. it's just it's so big at this point that if you if you miss even an issue, like I feel like I can I can never fall behind mm. with something like that because I'm just I'm gonna miss something. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't mention uh, Stuart uh, Immonen, but his art is beautiful and gorgeous, and he's like a perfect X Men artist to me. Oh, I, yeah, I love him on that book. Yeah, absolutely. Switching between him and uh, Buchalo's stuff on Uncanny yeah. is a lot of fun. Yeah. Totally, totally separate art styles, but mm-hmm. really fit both really, really well. Um, all right, so that's our lightning round. Stephanie, let's go on to books of the week. Okay. What do you got for us? So I am going to talk about an X-Men book. You kind of spoiled it already, but... I'm sorry, I know it was a big preview. secret. That's a okay. Big secret. <laughs> yeah, I, was I like spoiled previews. what I was going to talk about next week, which is more World Cup. So, I mean, yes, there you go. <laughs> um, so my book is uh, No More Humans. So you guys are probably familiar with, um, what is it, the the storyline where Wanda says no more mutants and she mm. wipes out the mutant gene like there's no more mutants being born into the world. House, House of M. M. House of M. Yes, House of M. I thought that was what it was, but anyways, not irrelevant. You've been correct. As opposed um, to this follow the House of BM, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, so <laughs> oh boy. this wow. one is obviously, I mean, that was not called no more mutants. But, you know, that's where it's from. This mm-hmm. one is No More Humans. And in a single flash, uh, the X-Men wake up. They check out Cerebra. And 
there are no more humans on Earth whatsoever. Hmm. Like, seven billion people have just disappeared. There's no bodies. There's no nothing. There's no trace of them. Um, planes have crashed and, you know, cars have collided. So the people were there, but then all of a sudden they're just not. So the whole thing is them a trying Kirk to figure Cameron out. A Kirk Cameron movie is what it is. Pardon? It's a Kirk Cameron movie. Yes. <laughs> um, so they're trying to figure out, you know, where did all the humans go? go. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point in time, I'm a little bit behind on like my <laughs> X-Men stuff. I fell off of it after the Battle of the Atom shenanigans. So I'm only kind of familiar with um, the factions, uh, you know, like Scott mm-hmm. being part of something and then the X-Men at the Jean Grey school. Mm-hmm. Um, and Magneto has now gone and done his own thing, but they all come together to figure out what's happening. Um, which is bad. <laughs> uh, anyways, so it was just really interesting to read to see what would you do? Cause like Magneto and uh, Magneto's people have been trying to, you know, get rid of humans for a while. And it's kind of, they're kind of just like, well, yeah. <laughs> that's done. <laughs> But they're also conflicted because there was different ways to go about what happened, and what happened is something that they're still unsure of. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's going to make the donuts? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the story's written by Mike Carey, and uh, the art's by Salvador LaRocca. Mm-hmm. Ooh, um, yeah, he is very good. And it was just a really cool story. I felt like it, uh, it, it didn't tie into what was really going on elsewhere. It's an original graphic novel, Bobby, an OGN. An OGN. OGN. <laughs> and I dropped some lingo on Bobby, and he was like, oh, well, sorry. Yeah. Um, reenact our hilarious... You can reenact our hilarious conversation from before the recording, Stephanie. Fine. Anyways, uh, but it, it it's, it's standalone. So even if you're not caught up on X-Men like me, you can just jump into this and enjoy it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of the characters that you'll know if you have any knowledge of the X-Men whatsoever. Um, They're not really bringing in uh, a lot of their past stuff other than there's a couple references to things Scott has done. Spoilers, they're naughty. (laughs) Um, And other than that, it was just a good read. It felt like a classic X-Men story. And I really dug that. I loved the art. Um, And yeah, that's more or less it, I think. (laughs) So this is like there's a couple of, of these original Marvel original graphic novels. There's um this one, there's Spider-Man uh, Family Business, mm-hmm. which is the, um which is a Mark Wade and James Robinson book, and then there's an Avengers one with um Warren Ellis and um Mike McCone. Something uh, War. What's the The Wint- uh, I don't remember what it's, but it's yes. Ultimate War. No. Oh, something something <laughs> uh, something wartime. Oh, Endless Wartime. Endless Wartime. There we go. I'd have gotten there. Avengers Endless Wartime. And these are all part of Marvel's um, original graphic novel initiative. So they're all separate from um, Mm -hmm. the continuity from the regular universe. And I really thought that was cool. You know, instead of... This this is the stuff... If they're going to do events, I would love to see them do them like this. Mm -hmm. Just separate. And if you want to tie things into the actual universe, fine. Do them in separate forms so that you're not disrupting mm-hmm. what's going mm-hmm. on with our monthly, you know, reads. Mm-hmm. I loved this. I loved that it was a story 
that it didn't have to pick up monthly and I didn't have to go, oh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Okay, number 17 of that. And, oh, it, why is She-Hulk on this? But, okay, cool. I'll get She-Hulk. I'll get She-Hulk. It's cool. I don't understand why it's here, but I'll get it. You know, like, I just... The scavenger hunt thing's old. This was great. Do more of this. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Wouldn't um, that be nice? And that's uh, 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 X-Men, No More Humans, Mike Carey, and Salvador La Roca. Yeah. Cool. Um, I don't remember. Did you, have, did you have another book? I didn't. I mean, actually, I'll quickly mention. I mentioned it on The Misfits so this week. What? So excited to have no other book. Yeah, I, I did. did. <laughs> no, no. The World Cup, you guys. What is reading? Don't be stupid. Um, I'm reading, actually, a book also by Mike Carey. Uh, but he's just going by M.R. Carey. It's called The Girl with All the Gifts. Uh, again, I talked about it on Misfits a bit, but it's really cool. It's a really interesting take on the zombie genre. Oh. Uh, it's it's kind of what happens after you know the zombies have taken over for like 30 years. And they're not zombies. They're called hungries. But Mike Carey actually provides a scientific explanation for why zombieism exists with an actual thing that exists in the world there's this spore um and it attaches itself to ants and it takes over an ants um it, it's a parasite right so it takes mm -hmm. over their bodies and has the ants climb up to the top of trees and then like it releases the spore once it's like really high up and like it, it just like you know like a kind of like a dandelion and how the seeds mm -hmm. just go everywhere is that the right? one where the ants end up standing on the leaves and sort of waving their arms in the air and acting all weird? Waving their arms in the air like they just don't care? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I don't hey, know. Oh. But the point is, there is an actual spore that does this. It takes over the ant's body and they wind up spreading the spores by climbing up to the trees and releasing it up there so it covers more ground. Now, this uh, spore has ad adapted. It's evolved to take over humans. And... Um, because it's a parasite, uh, the the they they're making humans eat anything in the path to you know sustain itself. So that's where they get the zombieism, and they're not called zombies; they're called hungries. And it focuses on these little kids, and for some reason they're infected with the spores, but they're acting like aside from the fact that they want to eat things, they actually <laughs> have a higher they're, they're geniuses. They have an incredible IQ and they want to learn and they have the capacity to learn and, you know, take on, you know, all the same knowledge that kids would in school. And so scientists and um, psychologists and all this stuff are trying to figure out what makes these kids different and why they're only partially affected. And um, yeah, it's a really cool read. Some stuff happens. Uh, that kind of tests them and, you know, throws them in the shit. But it's really cool, and it's a really cool take on it. So Cool. Mm -hmm. What was that called again? The Girl with All the Gifts. Mm. I believe it just – it was released earlier in this year, but I think maybe only in the U.K., and now it's – at the beginning of June, it got a wide release. Hmm. Hmm. I like the title. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded a little bit of Richard Matheson's I Am Legend where – they were vampires, but not. And it was a mm -hmm. whole scientific explanation of why they couldn't look into mirrors and yeah. why their wounds didn't yeah. heal and whatever. Yeah. It's a very, very cool uh, take on it. And for anyone who does like Goodreads and all that stuff, you know, I, I use that. It's like my IMDb of books. Uh, 
and I'll read pretty much anything with like a 3.5 or higher. Mm. And this has like a, and I, that's hard to get it a four and it has like 4.1 mm. out of five. And that's pretty good out of like 2000 readers that have checked it out since the beginning yeah. of June. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's awesome. It's, it's really good. Uh, if you like Mike Carey's work, whether, you know, in comics or otherwise, it's worth checking out whether you like his work or not really. Cause it's just good. <laughs> I still want to see them do a real I Am Legend with that real yeah. story. It would be nice with, with a real budget. And yeah, real I don't, even, I don't even care if there's a real budget. I don't care if it's a TV or indie movie. I just want to see them do the real the real story. Um, well, the first time around was close. Last Man yeah. on Earth with Vincent Price is very close to mm. Methon's novel. He wrote the screenplay, though he disavowed it because it was so cheap and shot in Italy with mm-hmm. people being dubbed. and yeah. But it was it's the real book. Yeah. Stephanie, um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say super quickly, too, uh, one of our listeners, I don't remember who, I'm so sorry, and I mentioned on The Misfits, but if you don't listen to that and you do listen to this, um, thank you for the recommendation of In in the Flesh, which is another really cool take on the zombie uh, genre. It's a BBC series. Nice. I watched the first season of it, and it's pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. Zombies are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, Steve. Yo. Book of the Week. Book of the Week. What do you got for us? Well... I got some good books this week. I um some like like themed books, but that's okay. The first one I want to talk about is Figment number one. This is part of the Disney Kingdom series. They had just wrapped on their Seekers of the Weird. Uh that wrapped up very well. I didn't get to talk about it on the show, but I liked it. It was um all of that Disney magic in a madcap adventure through a, you know, many, many worlds of Disney. So now they're introducing uh Figment number one which is written by Jim Zub with art by Felipe Andrade. And I'm going to try to get this right on colors is Jean-Francois Bellieu. Not French at all. No. <laughs> um, so Figment, for those wondering, is the story of Blarian Mercurial. He's under like this tremendous amount of pressure from this place called the Academy Scientifica uh, Lucidus. And what they want from him is they want him to invent, he's part of like a think tank and they're trying to figure out a new form of energy. They have all the top scientists and they say they're in the UK and they're like, listen, we'll fund your experiments, but you got to find a new way to bring energy to the world unless you're out on your ass. So Larian goes and creates this machine where he wants to basically think energy into existence. He straps this thing on his head, Doc Brown style, and he's just going to think of energetic things and they're going to manifest themselves and he'll be able to bottle it and hand it to his boss. That doesn't quite work out. The machine goes haywire and instead it acts kind of as an imaginary uh, portal and he thinks back to this way, way when he was a kid and he thought of this figment, this dragon, this purple and orange dragon that he'd come up with as a child. And in those moments where the experiment goes wrong, he manages to pull the figment of his imagination into the real world. Mm. Um, These two characters are now racing against the clock uh, to beat this deadline. He has one more week to come up with a new energy source. He thinks he has it. He goes to give a presentation, the machine goes wrong again, and now, once again, Disney style, we're off on an adventure in another world, and we have no idea what's to come. Mm -hmm. So that's the setup for figment number one. Um, If you guys enjoyed Seekers of the Weird, this definitely has that um, kind of high fantasy vibe to it, and it's 
the character itself, Figment, is an old school Disney character. As do you know, Bob? Nope. I I, th- I think I, what I felt like with these things, I thought the idea was these are kind of like lost things, things that were planned mm-hmm. by Disney that never got produced. Like I think the Secrets of the Weird was. Uh, um, and an aspect of the theme park they were going to make yeah. that they decided not to make. Okay. And I think this is a similar thing. This was a character or something that they were going to make that they never did. Oh, yeah. And they found like notes and stuff like that. I mean, the thing that I really enjoying about the Disney Kingdom series is, I mean, I, I like Disney. That's no mystery. It's these feel like little made for TV movies that we're getting in these, in these issues. And I mean, this could play out on screen just as well as it plays out on paper. The artwork from Felipe Andrade is fantastic. It's a little bit more controlled, a little bit more reserved than some of the stuff we saw in Captain Marvel. I know people, some people didn't like that. Um, this is a little less sketchy, a little less like oblong. Characters kind of look a little bit more formed and not as, as angular or weird. Um, colors are beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Lots of, you know, really deep purples and explosions and stuff like that. Um, like I said, it's got that Disney vibe to it. It's something safe that you could read with your kids. It's definitely an all ages type of deal. And uh, it's quality. I really I really hope that in the next couple of issues that this also shapes up and that they keep doing these because they're fun. Yeah, it felt very much like one of those Disney... Lot mixed movies they used to make like the live action slash animation mm-hmm. movies like bed knobs and broomsticks type of yeah. feel to it um which was the, which was i think the good part about it definitely has that that that, that cool vibe and obviously a, a huge em- emphasis on imagination obviously is a big part of it um my and i think artwork is beautiful my only issue with was it as i felt like it's super stylized obviously the, the dialogue especially in the mannerisms and at times it felt more committed to the style of the book than getting me interested in the actual character who is in the book. You know, mm-hmm. the guy was interesting, but he's just like mad, not kind of a mad scientist, but like quirky scientist dude who, like you said, it's very classic Disney. Yeah. You know, like the, like the kind of misunderstood genius kind of guy, uh, was, is definitely there and bringing ideas of other characters I've seen Disney, those Disney movies into him. I, I, I can like him, but on the, just for what he is, he, there isn't a, you know, he, there isn't a lot there to grab onto yet. Well, that was one of the things about seekers of the weird that was missing was that it, the Disney kingdom seems to focus more on the adventure than the characters having the adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, they focus a lot on environments and yeah. situational comedy and, you know, mm-hmm. daring do and, I mean the the whole brother and sister dynamic of Seekers of the Weird. That's what that book was. They relied on that heavily. Mm, right. There wasn't really time to get into who these kids are because you're too busy introducing everybody to you know mummies and mm-hmm. zombie plants and all these different worlds. Like with Figment, you know, we're it looks like we're going to be going somewhere else by the end of this comic, and we're going to be introduced to a bunch of creatures and different worlds. And, mm. you know, this could end up being like a Disney dimensional jumping, mm-hmm. uh, kind mm. of thing. So I don't know. I, it's, I, I dig the vibe of it and I kind of accept, I hear what you're saying as far as, cause I think seekers of the weird had that going mm. on for it. And this might end up being the same thing, but I'm in it for the adventure. And mm. I, I really do think it would work as like a live action slash, animated like old school like you were saying yeah you know figment would be hand-drawn animation mm-hmm. in you know a, a real life disney setting like pete's dragon yeah 
Yeah. Exactly like Beat's Dragon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's always tough for me when we talk about books like this, because this is obviously, it's not a kid's book, but it's definitely aimed towards a younger audience. Yeah. So I do often feel like the, the same criticisms, it's tough to levy those same criticisms I would have uh, against like a regular book. Not mm-hmm. because it doesn't deserve to be held to a standard, but it, it's more about what a book is trying to do. Does it succeed in that? And yeah. this book seems to do what it's trying to do. Um I, I just those kind of things did you know kept me from from loving it, but it's yeah. definitely it's definitely great how they capture that right. that vibe. Like I don't think that I don't think that everybody that goes and picks it up will be into it. Mm-hmm. I think like its core audience or its target audience is definitely people like me that mm-hmm. you know really love the Disney brand and just like to see what they have to offer next and follow them around and stuff like that. Um, and I'm really glad that it's coming from Marvel and it's it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. So the other book that I read. Uh, which is my absolute favorite book of the week, uh, is called Wars in Toyland. And I actually picked this up from Joe Harris, who was at the special edition Comic-Con. Again, very similar situation to what I was talking about earlier with Spirits, uh, the Soul Collector, is this is a story about two little boys, and the older brother has gone missing. Uh, I'm trying to, I I don't want to spoil anything, but two brothers growing up with one another. There's maybe a year or two difference between them. When you're little and you're playing with your brother and sister, your parents kind of force you to play the same things. So their whole deal is that they they play with their toys, they play with their war stuff, and it's all kept in this, you know, toy chest. The story opens with the older brother already having gone missing, and the little brother is playing with his toys. Out of nowhere, after you're introduced into the idea that the, that the brother is missing, the toys kind of hear the news, and they, they take up into arms, and they become real, and they start to move. And so they start to the, – the toy soldiers form a line, and this kid, this little brother that's playing with them is just like mystified and baffled that all of a sudden his toys are working on their own, and they're talking to one another, and they're moving – towards another place in the house and so he follows them and the toy chest opens up and the little boy gets sucked into the toy chest and into this like ridiculously graphic gorgeous world of toys where everything that you see is made from like other objects in real life like bridges are made out of um like corkscrew openers and stuff like that that are fanned out and it the story is about this kid going on against this thing called the Teddyocracy, which is the main uh, faction or villain of the story. And you come to find out that they stole the brother and they're keeping him held hostage. And he teams up with the toy soldiers and all these things to go and get his brother back. Now, it sounds like a lot of other things that I've talked about on the podcast. It would be with the exception of one thing. And I'm not going to spoil this, but it does happen towards the end of the book. There's a conversation that happens between the parents towards the end of the book. It's like the second or third to last page that changes everything about what you read. It can read as a very straightforward story. I actually ended up sharing the book with my housemate, Tom, and he read it before I did. And I asked him after I'd read it about the ending, and he gave me the straightforward ending. This happened, this happened, this happened, and at the end, it was that. I kind of took it three or four different ways. Um, and I really, really like kind of the ambiguity of the ending and that you can, it is open for debate and open for discussion. We talked about it for like an hour and a half 
afterwards, just debating on what happened. As I pointed out a couple of things, art-wise and dialogue-wise, just very fishy. I would have accepted it as just a straightforward story and it being one thing if had it not been for like those two word bubbles that changed everything that I thought about the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it was my favorite book of the week because I still don't know. Mm. Um, I have Joe Harris's contact. I'm actually going to try to get in touch with him, see if I can get some answers. Because he'll never give them to no, you. No, like you, you decide what the answer yeah. is. I know, but writers only to tell you what. I, yeah. And I love that about it. Yeah. I love that about it. I mean, you know, it's a it's beautiful, beautiful hardcover. I mean, you guys can't see it because you're only listening, but I mean, the artwork is just absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous. Full color pages, these crazy, crazy worlds, big action scenes, um, all these old school toys coming to life. The monkey with the the symbols and Ooh, you know creepy. teddy bears that have had their eyes ripped out and their stuffing falling out, and dark shadowy figures and just all of that super high fantasy stuff in this one story with an ending that is open to interpretation and is a really good conversation starter for other people that have read the book. Who does the art? The artist is Adam Polina. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's War... Was it Wars? Wars in Toyland. Toyland. Uh, and this is also printed by... Oni? Oni? Oni Press. And colors are by Nolan Woodard. So that's Wars in Toyland, and you talk, also talked about Figment number one. Yeah. Yep. It's an interesting format. It's sort of widescreen. It is widescreen. Yeah, 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 yeah it it's is. It's a short, wide book. Yeah. Absolutely just gorgeous. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I, if anybody else picks it up, please message me because I would love to talk about the last couple of pages of this pages of this book. Cool. Oh, there'll be some arm wrestling. All no, right. it's not that. <laughs> What's wrong oh, with you? It's it's two pages, man. There's those two pages that I'm like, yeah. Does this situation go beyond the house? Is this just another maybe playtime scenario? Mm-hmm. Are the parents mm-hmm. in on it, or or did it ever happen at all? It's mm-hmm. one of those like. You just don't know. You were talking about Twin Peaks before. It's one of those sort of things where bring to it what you bring to it, and it'll be f- f- your ending. Yeah, I was kind of surrounded great. by books like that those this week, and those are my favorite types of books. I, I like having a definitive ending in certain stories, and then there's other times where I really appreciate a story that lets me decide how it ends. Mm. You What were those books? Choose Your Own Choose Adventure? Your adventure? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right, cool. Bob, what do you got for us? Sure. I'm going to, for a change, talk about sort of regular books. It's been off on a <laughs> weird tangent lately. Uh, Mighty Avengers number 11, which Mighty Avengers to me is the best of the Avengers books that I'm reading anyway. It's Al Ewing. And this issue, it's Greg Land on art. I know some are... I'm out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mila, the art is really kind of neat, particularly because this is a tale from 1972. Mm-hmm. So it completely captures the whole sort of black exploitation shaft vibe of this thing. The great part of this book, besides the Francesco Francavilla cover, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that even though it's a tie-in, the events of Original Sin are explained in a nice little blurb on the front page. So this happens, so this is what's going to happen mm. here. So you get both without having to have read yeah. anything. I know it stands alone. This could just as soon be a regular book telling a backstory. In this case, it's of Luke Cage's father, who we met back in the 90s in cage number three <laughs> and who last turned up in secret avengers by brian bendis <laughs> back in 2005 or wherever mm. it was it turns out that luke is now remembered that his father once led a superhero team his father's an ex-cop which is what's this all about oh you don't want to hear this story it's just sort of terrible and so what you end up with he's out on the on the beat <laughs> and they find this dead 
vampire bat boy creature just laying in the street. And he's uh, accosted, so to speak, by this reporter, uh, Constance Molina, who's on the freak beat, as she describes it. <laughs> and it's, well, what's going on here? And the, the rest of the police force, they don't, they don't particularly hear about this. So she makes a phone call to someone who can help out, and it's Adam Brashear of the Blue Marvel, who's gone on retirement for a bit. And they all meet up eventually at the morgue as they're, they go to investigate this and discover... There's been a magician we've seen for a couple of issues named Kalu, who's been helping Blade. Well, he's at the morgue, too, and he sends away the morgue attendant. So now, all of a sudden, in this room, we have Kalu, Luke Cage's dad, this reporter lady, and then Blade shows up. Blade and Kalu have a huge two-page fight, which is just really pretty, pretty sweet, if I can get to it. Oh wow! For all those who, yeah. Greg Land is not doing that thing here. Oh, that's mm. not bad at all. That's mm. actually pretty cool. Yeah, now, it's very sort of seventies Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, heroes meet, they fight. Yeah, they have a disagreement. But it, it's the old school Blade from the Tomb of Dracula. And by the way, Francesco Francavilla needs to do a Tomb of Dracula book. <laughs> I mean, I love the Archie and all, but him doing a Dracula would be oh yeah, pretty pretty Amazing. sweet. In the midst of all this, as they're debating over what this this bat boy is he's apparently sort of a half mutant creature created by those bad people who made the wear chickens who were after blade in the last issue i was talking about <laughs> you missed that discussion steph you'd mm. love that one i mean where do you see wear chickens not not much except in this book <laughs> but in the midst of this th- this girl shows up who's calling herself the bear who looks rather like carly simon or one of those <laughs> 70s pop stars right. or whatever which is greg land so it probably is carly it, simon it, it might be from some album cover and She's got a story that she can tell about this. She introduced herself saying, I'm the bear darling, growl. <laughs> and so she's growl. And then we cut away because it's Luke Cage's dad doesn't want to tell him this story. And they start to compare notes a little bit. And it's, all right, fine. I'll tell you, break out the whiskey and we'll do this. And then you cut away again and Blade has been captured. And we're in bad shape coming into the next issue. Now, this is really great. There's a nice last page surprise that I don't want to ruin for those who haven't read to this yet or, or just picking up because I've been on this book now mm-hmm. for so long. But you've got a great mysteries. You've got fun characters doing interesting things. Everyone's, Al Ewing's writing here is just so good at getting you individual people, their, their stories. And this is focused on Luke. The art captures the vibe. The, the words do. It's just a fabulous little book that based on the sales numbers, not enough people are buying. It's, I think it's way down the Avengers list. And it's really a shame. It, it, Got off to a rough start because of the Infinity tie and the issues were good, but it was, I've got too many other things mm-hmm. to buy and who cares about uh, the Monica Rambo, Captain Marvel and all the rest of this. This book continues to get better and better and better. Cool. Yeah. Well, oh, there, you know, you've said a lot of good things about the book and it makes me interested in reading the book, but one of the things I'll say, you know, we kind of, we kind of dissed on events and stuff earlier, but I think the idea behind original sin and what they're doing with some of the tie-in stuff, I think is pretty interesting. I think the idea of going back to these, like you mentioned that the invaders mm-hmm. one, and now we have the mighty Avengers one doing these kind of one off or two issue stories that are about these things that happened previously in their lives, these memories and stuff like that. And telling these stories that maybe haven't really been told before, I think is a cool way to go about doing yeah. it. Like when you get issues like this, like this kind of like, you know, seventies flashback stuff, I think that's a very, very cool way to go about tying in stuff. So the two I've read though could stand by themselves mm. as not having needed that spark to get them to this point. Right. If it gets your creators to do a story in a 
previous time frame or flipping mm. back and forth. That is, it's a nice little hook. Yeah. I'm, I'm concerned there are some coming where they've changed the core of these characters or something happened in their origin. Mm-hmm. There's a whole uh, Tony Stark, Hulk miniseries yeah, that yeah. embedded within the larger series that changes the Hulk's origin. Mm. We've got one coming in Fantastic Four, and I don't care. I'm going to say it's a spoiler. It's not even a spoiler alert. It's a spoiler. Nobody's reading this book with me <laughs> anyway anymore. Where one of the major factors factors in the in this book and the problems with the thing changing back and all the rest of it and that that the pathos in that is now going to get turned on its head because the reason he's been the thing for all these years is johnny storm has destroyed the formula that could have changed him back so now their playful fighting over all these years is now something mm. different it'll be like that for a year bob and then some uh, somebody else will take it Let, yeah, let's yeah, hope yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> you know not to mention there's a famous story where franklin's been artificially grown to an adult his powers are manifest and he makes himself a grown-up because he wants to be big and takes out the whole team sue turns up eventually fights him finding her unconscious teammates eventually realizes who he is looks in his eyes and hears something in his voice and everyone else wakes back up again and he his powers are incredible he's the most powerful Mm. mutant in the marvel universe or at least was for a long time he tells his dad you know i think i can fix uncle ben i Mm. can do this and he starts and then backs away. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do anything. He tells his father the reason Ben Grimm can't change back the way they can, he's afraid that if he turns human, Alicia won't love him because she'll only love him as the thing. So he's stuck as the thing because he's afraid mm. that he'll lose a love. Well, that's now gone because mm. you decide mm-hmm. you're going to overwrite that. <laughs> Why trade mm-hmm. such brilliant romantic writing for claptrap? <laughs> uh, this, this public service announcement brought to you by you know, Claptrap. Yeah, yeah. Me. Yeah, me. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Mm-hmm. Moving on. There, there will be spoiler alerts. I will not ruin this book for you. Better not ruin Batgirl. I'm not. I'm not caught up. Okay. Well, it, it's really been hard to catch up on Batgirl because of events in between mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. And this is Batgirl 32, Gail Simone, Fernando Passerine, Jonathan Glapian on inks, Blonde on colors. I'm not sure who Blonde is, a it's company, cool, cool a person. It is, it is, it's good to have one name. Some of these these yeah. football players have one name. True, it's true. And, and it's great, except there's one of them on the Brazilian team named Fred. Oh, you mean football. Football, <laughs> yes, F-U-T-B-O, but, but Fred not Frederico, which yeah, we would everybody loves trip Fred. off the Come t- on. Yeah. yeah, but it just looks weird. It's just on the back of it. There's a, there's a Joe, which is a good Fred. What, what the, Prince. Fred. Madonna. It, the, yeah, but the, it's not any of it. Skip yeah. it. Skip it. He's blonde. Anyway, this picks up after the events of all the Batgirl Wanted stuff. Some of those things, the ramifications of that are still in place. There is a word balloon here that says there's a character who's been shot. Oh, I'm going to have to craft my words here carefully because he <laughs> who's been shot apparently it's 10 days ago and it seems as if it was 10 issues ago <laughs> so i'm gonna have to go back and reread it because of all the things that happened in between gothtopia and so on and so forth but we get sharice Korn's nightfall she doesn't like criminals in gotham city and she's willing to spend whatever money it takes and do whatever she can whatever awful way she does she has an entire team of very bad people with guns taking out the even worse folks to her. Uh, we open up on Barbara fighting off a whole bunch of them. At the same time, her dad is in jail, which is not a good thing. Mm-mm. And he's also being sued by Barbara's boyfriend. 
which makes for difficult things. In the midst of all this, she gets through some of these. Someone leaves. We cut back to Sharice, who's uh, now getting the message from television that, oh, you know, her, her raid got all broken up, and by who? And we're going to have to do something about that, too. I, I kind of, she misses the ballet, and I'm sorry I missed this ballet, too, which, <laughs> which is just a cute line. And she then hears a news report about uh, Ricky suing Jim Gordon, even otherwise, we'll sue him anyway. Mm-hmm. The commissioner did something not nice to Ricky. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and so he's suing. She gets really mad at that, too. Jim Gordon's a good man. How <laughs> dare well, this scum, this street scum, because he's kind of a hoodlum. He's a mm-hmm. car thief. How dare he do that? Well, her partner is like, go pay him a visit. We, we got to take care of this guy. So it, what we end up having is Barbara's trying to stop this. She's recapturing herself. I mean, if the events of wanted when her brother mm-hmm. was doing such bad things with the Joker yeah, and whatever, yeah. and she went through all that, she's in a bad spot for a while she's she's coming back from that so she's gonna she wants to take out nightfall as well as anybody she wants the reverse but nightfall is a step ahead of her always she goes to she's got a snitch she goes to the armory all the places where their weapons would be they're already all cleaned out she goes home kind of defeated and discovers alicia her roommate uh Playing Scrabble is, is the word that Kel Simone uses mm. uh, with her friend Joe. It's just really cute. And it's, maybe we should, have a, we should have a signal. Put a sock on the doorknob or something, <laughs> huh? So we, we're finally picking up the threads of that. And as then Barbara goes back out, it's the next morning. And it's early. I hate early. She's jogging. <laughs> she ends up in a fight with someone. We get a flashback. It's her college roommate. Very much like Spy Smasher back in the Birds of Prey days. And she's kidnapped. Because her friend calls herself Obscura now, she was Malari before, is part of an anti-terrorism squad, and she wants to recruit Barbara to take out Nightfall. Barbara's willing to do that, but not to throw her identity away, her friends away, her life away, when she thinks she can do it herself. It's just not what she wants to do, so she leaves, and then you can see that's going to bubble up as we go. So what ends up happening is Barbara needs to find other ways to do this. I've been told personally and you'll hear it that people need to read the next three issues of this there's a lot of stuff happening there's some really cool stuff over the last few pages as usual gail someone's story the characters are just so well written they're always right there and present even when bad things are happening and this book has got a lot of dark stuff in it but there's always positive momentum there's something happening that makes you feel that barbara gordon despite everything that's gone wrong will find a way to do this and do it the right way it's why when she pulled back when bad things happened it's she couldn't wear the bat anymore she felt as if she had betrayed everything that bruce and dick and her mentors had taught her to do and she had gone the other way that's rare in in comics we we see you know, heroes they do what they do and there's a panel or two or, or there may even be an issue where it's eh, I shouldn't have done that, and I'll take a you know Spider-Man no more, which lasted for an issue or two. Mm-hmm. Here it's been, it's been months, and not, not even counting the interruptions and the repercussions for what she did. And it really has weight now, where you see her coming back to what we know and love. The art is amazing. Fernando Passerine, month after month, is just amazing with action sequences as well as the emotional smaller moments are just really nicely crafted. And blondes colors. Gotham at night looks really good under under his paint box. So mm. this is a, if people haven't been getting Batgirl because of all the interruptions or haven't caught up because it seems daunting or crazy or weird, 32 would be a really good place to start. 
And I think you're going to get some really nice payoff coming soon. All right. Awesome. Batgirl number 32. And uh, Mighty yeah. Avengers number 11, right? Number 11. Okay. Steve, you read Batgirl 32 without spoiling. You enjoyed it? I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, exciting things. Exciting things to come. The uh, It's one of those last page, hold your breath kind of <laughs> issues. And uh, judging from some of the stuff that you guys will hear on the video, I'm sorry, the audio, the interview, um, there's a lot of exciting stuff still coming uh, for this character for as long as Gail Simone is on this book. Mm. So, awesome. Awesome. Yep. Um, all right, so we'll go on to my book of the week. I just have one to speak <gasps> about this week. Um, it is The Empty Man uh, by Cullen Bunn with art by Vanessa R. Del Rey um, and colors by Michael Garland. So the, the Empty Man really kind of fits into... Uh, fits very nicely, I think, into this kind of modern um, urban legends stuff that has been recropping up lately, the Slender Man, stuff like oh, that. Okay. You know, it, it has that sort of similar feel, which is uh, it, it, there is this disease, seemingly a disease. And, it, and, it, and this book, Colin Bunn integrates a few different sort of genres into, into this one story. You know, it's this, this urban legend horror story. It's kind of this, you know, cop thriller it's this it's also kind of a medical uh medical mystery as well there's this disease seemingly that that infects these people and they don't know how it's transmitted they don't know how it goes from person to person but it 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 seems to affect their mental status quite heavily and causes them to do really horrible things um right before they die saying the least basically yeah um, so the story, it, 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 it does a very good job of unraveling itself as it goes along. Mm-hmm. You never feel confused when you don't know a lot, but you also don't feel like you know the whole story the moment that the book begins. Mm-hmm. That's um, intriguing right away for me. Yeah, yeah. It begins, uh, you know, it begins with an example of this, the, what they call the empty man, which is what they call this disease because the people who who um, are infected, they, they they tend to share this similar thing where they say that this empty man made them do what what what, what, what they yeah. do. Um, so there are people that, that our main character doesn't really believe uh, the, the fact that it's a disease. He believes there's something else going on, that there is some sort of entity behind behind what's happening to these people. Right. He refuses to believe that it's just some, it's a random occurrence mm-hmm. that's that popping up around the, the country. Um, and right, right away from him, you know, he, here, you know, he's painting, you, you spend not too much time, you know, on any sort of personal level with our main character, but, you know, he, Colin Bunn does a very good job of presenting him as kind of a, a, a archetypal kind of gruff, but very smart FBI agent or, 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 or federal agent and let you kind of fill in, you know, the, the, the other shades just from the way he acts and the way he mm-hmm. goes along. Well, he's the skeptic. Yeah, he's definitely the skeptic. Yeah. Um, but he's not only because he's, he's a skeptic, but he's he's also... It's funny because he's the skeptic about it being not right. supernatural. You know, that, right. that's kind of... It's, it's a weird... It's an opposite thing because everyone thinks that it's this one thing and he refuses to believe that, that, it, that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the art uh, by Vanessa R. Del Rey is horrifying <laughs> it's this like scratchy um you know detailed but very you know you know very scratchy lined and and mm-hmm. messy almost feel to it but 
I mean, you yeah. can't can't really do it. But that that you're, the picture that's a person, by the way. You're looking at right there. Okay. So, um, <laughs> did you creepy. find some of the? I mean, I'll show you because you're here. But I mean, yeah. some of the panels. I think the perspective of when people are walking in front of one another, I think was a little strange. Like, I, didn't, I, I didn't even notice it. Really. I really do dig the artwork, but there's actually this one panel where there's both main characters are standing in a doorway and one's walking in front of the other. And the f- character walking in front is so small that it almost looks like a ventriloquist it's dummy yeah, sitting no, on no, his you're knee. Right, it is. Um, and that happens, I think, twice or even three times within mm. the book. Uh, always in a situation where... It does look awfully short. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. where one character is in front of the other. Yeah. I mean, I still really dig the the style, though. I, th- I think it's perfect for the book. It's super, like, dirty and gritty and messy. Mm. And, I mean, this is really graphic stuff. It is. And what I love about it is I love the fact that it, it does cross over these multiple genres. You know, it, it's telling... Uh, a story that isn't easily pigeonholed in, into one description, but I think that if you're familiar, kind of with this, these new kind of urban legends that have been very proliferated by the internet and, and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I think it definitely fits in. I think he's, I, I think he's going for that sort of milieu when he when he goes when he talks about this book. Um, really, really great, Colin Bunn. It, I mean. Uh, he's been. I mean, he's been doing the Six Gun obviously for a while. And he's been. He's been doing a lot of stuff. But he really came out to my radar doing the Fearless Defenders and then those mm-hmm. the Deadpool minis, which has, has been great. Mm-hmm. And he's been knocking out of the park with Magneto. Um, it's just this is really really great stuff. Scary, scary stuff. Um, m- this is much more the tone that I expected uh, Nailbiter to be. I, I Nailbiter is it, it, great, but it, it's much more kind of arched eyebrow, mm-hmm. a little bit of dark humor going on. Mm-hmm. This is just straight homage up homage to things and stuff. Exactly. This is just like straight up in your face horror, um, and it's really awesome. It feels. Is this an ongoing or? Just going to ask that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It feels like something that would have been part of like an author's anthology. Like if Cullen Bunn wrote a series of short stories and collected them in, into one book, mm-hmm. that this would be, you know, something like The Running Man that they took out of like the Bachman books, right? Stuff like that. It's a no. It's a miniseries. It's one of six. Ooh, nice. There you go. Trade. Yeah. <laughs> the empty man made me do it. Yeah. It, it's really, really good stuff. I, 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 I can't recommend it enough. You know, I, I was. It was initially in my pile, and I was kind of going over the other books that were, um, that were there. And I was like, oh, this is a new Cullen Bunn book, and I kind of just picked it up. I was like, I'll, I'll try it out. And I'm glad I did. I really, really loved mm-hmm. it. Okay, so that's the Empty Man number one by Cullen Bunn with art by Vanessa R. Del Rey. Another boom title. Another boom title. Absolutely. Um. So that's it for our books of the week. Um, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we won't really be coming back. We'll be hearing Steve and Bob uh, doing interviews from the floor of Special Edition New York City. Um, so enjoy those after this. What's going on, guys? Steve here, hanging out at New York City Comic Con Special Edition, Saturday. And I'm hanging out here uh, with the creators of Spirits, the Soul Collector, an independent comic, uh, Colin Lawler and Joseph Grabowski. How you doing, guys? What's going on, man? How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm doing awesome. Mike. Fantastic. We're going to pass this thing back and forth. 
Tell me about your comic. I don't know anything about it. You guys just launched a Kickstarter today. What's up with that? Well, we're very excited about the Kickstarter. Uh, it's for our book, Spirits the Soul Collector. And basically, Colin came to me uh, and he wanted to do a story, a fantasy story that took place here on, on our Earth in our time, whereas a lot of fantasies these days, you have to put yourself in a different planet, a different world, a different time that doesn't exist. Um, and basically the world that we created, uh, the spirit world we created, it's uh, representative of basic elemental concepts. Fire, earth, wind, water, light, dark, plant, animal, time. Uh, the things that exist all around us and always have. Um, and in this world, basically the idea is that these spirits, they've existed since the dawn of time, before man. Uh, they've existed unnoticed, unobtrusive to all of us, except for those who we call seers. Uh, and seers are the special few who uh, have the innate ability to see and interact with these spirits. Uh, our story kicks off, basically, an evil presence kind of appears and starts stealing the souls of young seers. And uh, our main character is a 12-year-old boy named Will Thompson. He's thrust into this world, uh, given the daunting task of finding and rescuing his younger brother's stolen soul. Wow. That's a lot going on. Yeah, it's heavy duty, man. <laughs> when did, uh, like, when did the, the seeds of this idea first? Actually, how did you guys meet? How do you, how do you know each other? Um, we actually are both from New England. He's from Vermont. I'm from Connecticut originally. And then uh, we moved to New Jersey uh, right before eighth grade. And so we are oh, friends so throughout high time. school. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I went off to college I, in Georgia. We kind of like were separate for a while. I moved back to New Jersey recently and uh, just hanging out. We kind of started putting our minds together. Um, basically back like last January uh, of 2013 was when the fire started cooking and we got the creative juices flowing and uh, basically started mapping out this story. Um, and we started like pitching it to a few companies uh, in October, but we kind of decided we wanted to do this on our own, like go independent. Um, we wanted to create basically how much of the story so that we could hook not only like the readers and audience, but kind of get other people in interested involved as well. And so, what's your like? What's your goal for the book? How big do you want this story to be? What kind of like? What are you offering in the Kickstarter as part of like the end game for this project? Um, so the end game of this project, uh, the primary, uh, I guess product that we're trying to create here is uh, a 32-page, uh, two-chapter uh, issue, basically. Um, and so it'll introduce the characters, the conflict, everything. Um, this, those two chapters are a part of a longer uh, graphic novel that'll probably be around 300 pages. Um, and so that'll be the full story arc. Um, and so we've already got that all outlined and ready to go. But this is basically enough to cover the printing costs of that first chapters. Um, let us go out to a bunch of more of these Comic Cons, start promoting it. Um, really get the name and spirits out there, get people excited about it so that we can then move forward and get the rest of the book done. Is this your first con that you're promoting? Uh, this is actually our second con. We <laughs> went to Hartford uh, two weeks ago. Um, just kind of like a trial run, getting a feelers, but uh, this, yes, this is our first uh, big con that we've yeah, been to. The, the Hartford con was kind of like our scout mission, and it was cool because the company that ran that, it was actually their inaugural con, so it was our inaugural con. We shared that sweet little moment, I guess, if you will. But, you know, this one's a lot bigger of a deal. I know it's their inaugural special edition, first time they've done it in June, but, uh, I mean, it's turned out to have a pretty solid crowd, which, uh, you know, I'm excited to see, and so... It's definitely a big learning experience for us, but it's, you know, it's proven to be pretty lucrative and, and pretty, uh, uh, what's the 
success all around. Yeah, it's overall success. I mean, we've got a lot of great feedback about the comic. We're learning things, how to set up our table, how to pitch things to people, uh, what people like, what people don't like, you know. It's been an exciting weekend so, for so far. Nice. Um, I mean, looking at it now, I mean, obviously you guys can't see this because this is just audio, but um, I mean, this is some really high fantasy, spiritual type of stuff. When when you were growing up, like, what was the what made you want to create a story like this? Growing up, what were some of your favorite stories that eventually led to the creation of this particular one? Well, I mean, for me, my imagination, I think, uh, grew the most from the, the biggest catalyst for my imagination was reading Roald Dahl growing up. Nice. Uh, things like the BFG and the, and the Witches and James and the Giant Peach. Uh, my favorite was Danny and the Champion of the World. That's a lesser known one, but. I mean, he created these magical, fantastical worlds with these, like, silly, goofy characters and monsters and relationships. But I think at the heart of all those stories, for the most part, typically there was a child who had, had a pure heart uh, and was kind of against the odds. Uh, and he was able to shine through and, and find that special something within his own essence, within his own soul or heart, uh, that allowed him or her to kind of overcome the odds and, and you know, live in a magical world, you know? What, um... Oh, I was just... I had a question, and I forgot. I'm going to come back to you. Yeah, please do, man. No, wait. I'll be right here. <laughs> art. Sure. Tell me, what, what was the... How did you get started in art, and how did you wind up with this being, like, the overall look? Have you, oh, like... Did you start doing fantasy, or... What did you I draw mean, when you were growing up? More or less. I mean, I was always drawing random things. I had a large influence from Jim Henson, Dr. Seuss. Uh, those two just really, like, the more the whimsical side to all the drawings and stuff like that. I mean, I was always a fan of Disney, um, which is the clean, rich drawings that they had in, like, all of their animations. It's got a little um, bit of, like, a Miyazaki feel to Oh, it. yeah. And, like, that was, I mean, granted, I didn't find or discover Miyazaki until I was much later in, like, high school and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, growing up, like, following I, a lot of the concept art of, like, Zelda and um, even the Final Fantasies, like, those early on, like, I love that stuff so much. And that really basically turned my eye towards, like, Japanese uh, artwork and everything. Very like that. cool. Yeah. Okay. I remembered it now. <laughs> okay. Have you ever read The Thief of Always by Clive Barker? Uh, I have not, actually. Read it. I will, man. You, you recommend it? That's... That is my favorite book of all time, and from Roald Dahl and just what you guys have been talking about, I definitely, it's a book where a, a man comes in through a window, and he's basically like the shadow man. He's in a, in a long coat and a hat, and this kid's very unhappy with his life, and he decides to invite him into a world where every night is Halloween, every dinner is Thanksgiving, every morning is Christmas. Unfortunately, there's shady things going on in this world, and as the longer you stay in it, the more you forget about your other world back home. There's something living in the lake. There's all like all okay. this. this it sounds almost a little tiny bit Nightmare Before Christmassy. Little sort of. Little awesome. bit. So, all right. So, where do you guys go from here? Like, what are what are some of your your goals, or what are you what are you offering? You mentioned the Kickstarter before. Right. What are some of your like your rewards and things that you're giving away? Like your stuff to, to the yeah for the for the fans that. and for the people that believe in the project well i mean we have some of the more obvious things like copies of the book signed uh some copies of the book with original drawings inside 
uh, some of Colin's art prints uh, from the Spirits book itself. I think the most interesting reward we have, and it's for the highest tier, so we don't know how many we're going to get. We put a limit on 10 just in case. But um, for people who actually donate 500 or more, we're actually going to do a two-page comic uh, kind of directed by the backer. They're going to pick oh, wow. yeah, a character, a, a subtle conflict, and maybe a setting, and we're going to do a two-page comic basically with them in the credits kind of thing. Shit, I wish I had 500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. All right, so uh, where can everybody go to find the Kickstarter online if they're interested in the project? Okay, so you can hit up spiritscomic.com. Uh, that's going to be our main webpage. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, under Spirits as well. Uh, if you, yeah, Spirits, Spirits Comic has been our go-to at handle. Um, it's called Spirits of Soul Collector. If you Google that, that'll take you to the Kickstarter as well. Uh, and we're, you know, we're excited. We're gonna probably post the link on every page imaginable. So just get ready to see it on telephone poles and people's foreheads. Just get ready. <laughs> Very cool, guys. Well, I wish you, you know, the best of luck. The stuff looks really, really cool, and uh, I, I really, I hope it nothing more than it that it pans out. And uh, I want to thank you guys for talking with us, and we'll uh, we'll hopefully see you guys around. No, yeah, thank you, definitely. man. Thank we, you very we much. We appreciate the uh, the, the FaceTime, you know. <laughs> yeah, man, no problem. All right, well, thanks so much, guys. Uh, Steve, closing out New York City Comic Con special edition coverage for the day. I'm going home. Uh, I hope you guys had fun and enjoyed the coverage, and we'll catch you next time. What's going on, everybody? Steve Say here. We're talking comics. We're at New York City Comic Con Special Edition, hanging out with Will Sliney, artist of The Fearless Defenders, and now Spider-Man 2099, uh, written by Peter David. Uh, dude, how are you feeling? Uh, pretty good. Pretty pumped about everything. Uh, it's been a, a great couple of months. I'm really, really excited for 2099 starts. Fantastic. Let me ask you this. Where were you when you found out that you were going to be doing this, and how stoked were you? Um, I had it was it was actually a pretty amazing couple of months uh, that went from uh, like I knew Furious Defenders was ending. Obviously, I was bummed about that. And my first thing after that was, you know, I thought I might get like a small fill in on some lesser known character, or whatever. And so it was like, so it basically went from Spider-Man team up to the last issue of Superior Spider-Man to, to being told about Spider-Man 2099. Then I was told it was going to be an amazing Spider-Man number one. So it was just like bang, 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 bang in a row. I was at home for all of them and just in total shock and it's only kind of now um, that I, I'm, I'm actually able to kind of realize how important it is because you're starting to see so many people that are coming by at the convention that just love the character already you know so um, I am over the moon nice now let me ask you this have you used any like new art techniques or have you redesigned his suit like how much how much leeway have they given you with the character um i haven't redesigned the suit it's there's little tweaks obviously to, like um to the way i render it than say like rick leonardi would it but it's such it's such a iconic uh costume that you don't really mess with it too much um but uh but i am trying to like i'm definitely trying some new techniques in what i'm doing uh because it actually do you want the long story the short story Long story, story, long story, yeah. whatever you got time for, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, I remember when I was a, like a, a teenager and I went to see the first Spider-Man movie. I was over in Edinburgh and they had one of those trampolines that they tie you onto so you can spring way up into the air. Yeah. So I'd just seen like the movie of him swinging around gracefully and then I went on to it and I was like, oh, I, I, yeah, I should be up to, like, this will be the same. I'm on a thing, it'll be fl flying around. And all of a sudden, just like buildings were like spinning around, and huh. just as this huge sense of momentum that I kind of want to bring into the books. Uh, so, 
So what I'm trying to do is like, you know, like a skateboarder has like a GoPro and like they're filming their thing on like a wide angle lens, yeah, so it really yeah. gets the momentum. So I'm really trying to push that with a lot of the backgrounds and really give a kind of a, a, a warped kind of a, a look as if, as if someone was filming him for like a skateboard thing to get across that speed and stuff, you know? That's a really cool approach. Uh, it's definitely different, um, and I was and I spent ages developing a technique to do it. And I was really pissed off because Manga Studio then brought out a program that does it straight away afterwards. <laughs> so, but hey, um, can I pause it for a second, actually? Um, or it may or may not. Go ahead. Uh, just uh, okay. So, let me ask you this: Were you a fan of the character before you got the job? Yes, absolutely. Like, um, well, I was I was a huge Spider-Man fan, obviously, and I didn't have access to the 2099 comics as they were coming out in the US market because I'm from Ireland. Uh, we just had like reprints of the regular Spider-Man books in in Ireland. Um, so, so, but when I moved to New York uh, about five or six years ago, and I to do, I did it specifically like to hang around with more artists and stuff. Um, the, uh, all of them were like, you have to check out Spider-Man 29. He's a 2099. We'd all love to do. We love the costume. So back then was when I picked up all the the, the, the books. Obviously, I loved it. But more importantly, I just I really, really wanted to draw the guy, you know. So, so yes, I was. Yep. Yep. Very cool. So let me, all right, I keep on saying that. Let me ask you. <laughs> you tell me, you were just telling me before we started recording that you went to a Marvel, uh, like a retreat or yeah, a workshop a workshop yeah the retreats I, I think are the ones for the the writers and they, they take them away from the place we i was brought over for uh, i've just been signed as an exclusive for marvel actually i don't think i've said that for anyone so there's, there's your your, ex, your your podcast exclusive nice <laughs> um so and what they do is they bring over all the guys that have signed uh for a workshop uh, and it was amazing uh so taking part it was it was last wednesday thursday friday it was myself Mahmoud Asrar, uh, Valerio Shiti, uh, Chris Anka, and Mike Del Mundo. So the five of us were brought over to really work uh, on our storytelling and things like that. And we were being taught by Howard Chaikin, who ran the classes, who is an immense encyclopedia of comic book he's knowledge. Crazy. He's amazing. I was so fearful at the start because he's just straight up and like he'll tell you where your work sucks and stuff, but that's what you need. And I never learned so much in my life. And on the first day, we'd Walt Simonson in as well. And I was learning so much from them. And it was amazing seeing how, how the other artists, you know, laid out their pages differently from me when I had the exact same script. So we all learned from each other as well. It was probably one of the best. It, it definitely was the best learning experience I ever had in my life. So and it's brilliant that Marvel do that. That's fantastic, man. Mm. They they care like they they said it like we 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 want you pushing forward as much as I can because it helps you and it helps them as well, obviously, you know. So, so what's like your what is your your dream job in comics? What would you like to if you were given the chance to do anything, anything see, at all? What would see, you it do? was it was Spider Spider-Man. Spider-Man? So I, I felt grand. I'm always asked that it was grand asking that when I wasn't working on. No, when I do, I sound like a bit of a dope. <laughs> But uh, no, it is. I it's it's um, since I was a kid, it's what got me into it. I loved the cartoons. I loved any kind of thing. I, I used to have glasses, and anytime I took them off, I thought I was Peter Parker or Spider Man or whatever. So you never, like that. you never imagined when you started drawing that one day you would be drawing Spider Man. Oh, it was always a far away dream. But I didn't even know, understand that there was jobs to to actually to draw them. I, I didn't realize that it worked like that, you know? So obviously, you know, when, you, when I was getting older and I started figuring out how comic books worked, I was like, oh, it would be amazing to get there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm more than chuffed and I'm, I, don't, I have no problem saying it as well. Like I've always said, he's the one character that I love. 
uh, and to do 2099 then which is just as like Miguel is half Irish so that that speaks to me as well you know so uh, I'm, I'm in a great place I'm really delighted that's nice man now what do you what do you do in your spare time when you're not creating art when you're not flying to and from Ireland <laughs> to come and be with us in New York how does how does Will Sliney spend his downtime if you even have any? Uh, no, I do, I do. Um, I have a mixture of like sports and video games. So I play like I play football, which is soccer for you guys. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. But I, I don't. I definitely don't play American football. <laughs> Basically, I have no idea how to do that. Um, and I yeah yeah a lot of video games as well. So what have you been playing lately? We're gonna uh, get you on the Talking yeah. Games podcast, but love to a little, yeah. little preview. What uh, what have you been <laughs> playing in your spare time? Uh, the, my, the last game I completed actually was South Park: The Stick of Truth, which oh, was man. hilarious. But um, some of the worst scenes were banned for Europe, which was really annoying. Have you played it? Or? I played maybe about two and a half hours of yeah, it. Yeah. I, I didn't know that it was going to be so exploratory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. once I realized that, like, I was going to have to get in deep and kind of hunker down, I kind of lost my focus and moved on to something else. Yeah, but I am yeah. looking forward to going back to it. It's it's hilarious, but th- like, there's one. There are a couple of scenes that are just outrageous. And to be fair, like, they 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 cut it off in a in a funny way. Like, they just just this like picture of a European flag comes up and it's like hey sorry guys but you can't see but, and they're kind of telling you what happens and they're like I'm sure it would have been fun but you can't play because you're from Europe oh, God. Um, but that was awesome I uh, played a good bit of Titanfall since I got my Xbox One yeah. and uh, I've just bought Watch Dogs but haven't played it yet alright we're going to have to exchange gamer tags Yes. So we can uh, yeah, yeah, play, definitely. play a couple things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sweet. Yeah, definitely. If you ever get your Microsoft account back. But that's oh, it's up. Story. It's okay. up. I fought. I fought long and hard for that thing, and it is now back to being mine. Damn it. Um, so, what, all right. So, aside from 2099, do you have anything else on the horizon? So, well, that's pretty much it in comics for the long term. Uh, I, like... Like Peter is known for his long runs as well, and I would love to. I I would love for this to be like one of my defining runs, if not the defining run of my career, because I really, I re- I'm very lucky to have it. I think, um, so that's what it is in comics. Uh, I do a lot of work for Everton Football Club, their Premiership soccer team. Um, so I'm doing a bit more with them, uh, but but pretty much it's just Spider-Man now for the long term. Um, I have been doing some of my own Irish books as well, but I've, I've basically parked everything just to work on Spider-Man. Right. Do you do anything like outside of comics work-wise, or this is your this is your bread and butter? Pretty much. Oh, this is my bread and butter, definitely. Um, uh, and any kind of illustration job that I have gotten uh, has been kind of through comics, kind of like 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 Everton. They wanted like a comic book type cover for one of their match day programs, that kind of thing. So it's uh, pretty much amazing. I'm starting up a few kind of lecturing things in Ireland, all right. And I'm trying to set up a few kind of artist studios because we're not the best for that at the moment um, so that's kind of a fun project that I'm doing and actually um, I'm, I'm going to be launching a Kickstarter quite soon uh, and that's going to be for uh, it's it's you know you have like an art book that's like photographs of, of models muscular yeah. pose and things like that so I'm, I'm taking a couple of models into a studio uh, and I'm shooting them with a high definition slow motion camera 
so I'm gonna have them like throwing punches and things oh, like oh. that and basically you can like pause it wherever you want and that you can use that as your reference or whatever and it, you're gonna move the camera around and they're all like wow. really mostly people or whatever so we'll, we'll see if it takes off that's what Kickstarter is about so um, I'm excited about that as well you could end up doing one of your own artist retreats one day <laughs> get a lot I doubt I'll never the amount of knowledge that Howard Chaikin has is hey man you impossible. never know no 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 I, but like see they have they, they they come from the source of comics as well like you know they've been they grew up studying it like like we have much more media now yeah. like you know and like like he he was taking us away from cinematic choices and bringing us right back to true comic book choices you know so. indeed so all right i'm gonna end with this is there anything about spider-man 2099 that you can tease us with that you won't get in trouble for revealing? Uh, <laughs> sure um well the the, the nice thing about him is he's a nice mix of uh, villains from the future and regular Spider-Man villains because he's in Spider-Man's universe and things just happen to Spider-Man that kind of way. So our first villain is from, from the future, not even from Spider-Man 29th time, it's from a little bit further further forward. Uh, but the, 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 the next time we meet a villain is going to be, um, it's gonna be uh, one of the classic Spider-Man villains and I got to redesign his costume. Very so bad. that's issue three, I think you're going to see that. Fantastic. Man, I can't wait to read it. I know that uh, a lot of our fans are really stoked for it. So oh, I'm so excited myself. I can't Fantastic, wait for dude. Well, we wish you all the best. And uh, thank you so much for sitting down with us and catching up with us again. Uh, no problem. Thank you, I'm sure we'll be seeing you in the future. And we'll uh, get you on another podcast and Sounds pick your good. brain about some games and such. Sounds good. Thanks, Steve. All right. No problem, man. All right, uh, everybody. Steve Say, New York City Comic Con Special Edition, Will Sliney. Be sure to check out Spider-Man 2099 when it hits shelves in... July. July. <laughs> Do it. Pre-order it. Love it. All right, guys. See you later. Hi, it is our honor to be here at New York City Comic Con 2014 Special Edition with Gail Simone, who's certainly one of our favorites and the writer of Batgirl, Red Sonja, Tomb Raider, your creator on Leaving Megalopolis. <gasps> Got to take a breath here. Let's just dive right into Red Sonja right now. Was it challenging to sort of change everyone's perception of a character as much as you did and yet keep all the core values for the long-time readers at the same time? For me, it was just a blast. Hilarious and fun, and I would laugh to myself and say, oh my God, I'm going to make her drunken, dirty <laughs> joke-telling, sword-wheeling badass. <laughs> so, and that's what, I, you know, the, the, all the issues are that, basically, and, and now we've got her to where she can't get laid, so now she's sex-deprived on top of all those things, so she's got a sword, she's angry, getting more frustrated, I don't know what's going to happen. But nobody will share the bedroll. <laughs> yeah, right. they should. Let you. For the safety of the world, they should. <laughs> Your next customer arrives. Go for it. Uh, in Barbara Gordon, you've written one of, one of comics' most inspiring characters in two different identities. Red Sonja's sword at your throat. Pick one to write full-time. To write full-time? Oh, you could, I could never choose between the two. There's no way. You know, I've had a relationship with Barbara Gordon since I was a very young girl, you know, seeing her for the first time on the Batman syndicated Long television Craig, show. Yeah. And uh, so that is close to my heart. And then writing Red Sonja is just such a blast. There's no way I could choose between them. Come on. It's like choosing between your children. So, that's why I said red your sword at your throat. You had to go with that. Thanks. Go. Uh, what can you tell us about the new Wonder Woman anthology title, Sensation Comics? And as a secondary question, what was your favorite Wonder Woman that isn't yours? 
Um, oh, you're going to make me choose that. I like so many different, for different reasons, but I think the George Perez Wonder Woman hit me at the right time in my life uh, to really have, you know, really deep feelings and connection with that. And uh, with the Sensation Comics anthology, it's very exciting because Wonder Woman is such a rich character and there's so much room for different sides to her story. And, and Sensation Comics, we're going to be able to do that. And then Ethan and I have wanted to do a Wonder Woman together for a long time. And so I'm literally, when I see his pages come in, my emails back to the editor and to Ethan are nothing but curse words because I can't even think <laughs> of what to say. They're so amazing. And it literally makes me want to cry that we're only doing one because it's just so, so much fun and his art is so powerful. And I can't think of much better than seeing Wonder Woman hanging by her golden lasso from a gar gargoyle in Gotham. Wow. There must be more of that. <laughs> yes. In speaking about art, have you ever found a disconnect between what you wrote and then what the artist put on the page that you then had to address a change? It, that, I'm working with such talented people that most of the time if something's changed, it's for the better. Really? Because they've figured out a better way to tell it visually. Um, sometimes there's been a couple language barriers because I work with artists from Brazil and Spain and, you know, around the globe. So a couple times that's happened, but not very much. And um, I think one particular artist, he drew something that was a little bit over-sexualized for the particular panel, so we had to do a word balloon strategically placed. But that only happened one time, and, you know, I really just don't run into that too much. These, these guys are too good. We just had a couple of folks come up to the table expressing their love for the movement, as we have from the very beginning. Certainly a risky book to try as a concept, and DC you know, ran with this. What's your feeling moving forward? Are we going to see these characters again? Will you take a pass at using them in Batgirl, for instance? I think we'll see the characters again, because people really got attached to some of them, and they're really good characters that add some real good, great diversity, so I think that we will. I don't think we've seen the last of them. We need to see some vengeance, Moth. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> As a modern pioneer in this, we just came from the panel reimagining female heroes. Seeing the growing ranks of female participation as creators, editors, readers, uh, it's got to make you feel proud. Where do you think we're headed? Is this a rocket ship that's not going to stop? We've finally crashed that glass ceiling entirely? Well, I think that the whole entire industry, including the conventions and, and the publishing and the online, can't ignore this part of the audience, you know, and and I think what it's going to do is it's going to bring more diversity, and not just female diversity, but diversity of all kinds to the industry. And, you know, people make comments sometimes in interviews like, well, just putting diversity in for diversity's sake, or this female power, they make some comments like that, and I'm like, you know, F you, this shouldn't be this hard, it's ridiculous, this is life, this is our country, this is our world, why aren't we... Why are we afraid to reflect it in, in fiction? I just don't, I, it's hard for me to understand. I try to be patient, but after a certain amount of time, I've kind of lost patience. And I think it's really amazing to see the types of things that are coming up now. And I'm looking forward to what the next thing is, what the next barrier that's broken, and, and the next one after that. And, and it's just very exciting. Sometimes to make a stand, you do have to go overboard. You have to make a strong statement to say, yes, we're going to do this, tough. Well, and it's like anything, you know, 
I call it getting over the hump. You create this reaction and this outcry and this visibility, and then you know there's some backlash and stuff, and then everybody kind of calms down a little bit, and eventually you know people keep pushing it and pushing it, and eventually it just becomes everyday, an everyday yeah. thing. Yes. And um, I and I can, most examples I can think of where. Uh, something major needed to change that has been the process it's you know so it's not surprising to me at all and and when I, every day when I get hate mail that's what I think of is like well I did something different somebody had a strong reaction to and you know this is going to calm down and all these other people that really liked it kind of you know make it worth it that you know now, I've heard Kelly Sue DeConnick at this convention last year say, if I have to make people uncomfortable so that my daughter doesn't have to go through this, fine. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I don't, I think that comic books to me in particular, we'll just talk about comic books here, has always been a subversive medium. So where better to try to make people uncomfortable, in my opinion, you know, and to do, to get, create some kind of change or new art style or a new way of thinking of something. Um, we don't have budgets in terms of you know special effects budgets and things like that and so we can kind of really play with a lot of things and and, and create some some discussions <laughs> okay now for anyone who hasn't read the newest issue of Batgirl I'm gonna throw a spoiler alert here a couple of big moments here uh, one is Alicia which we see her Scrabble playing partner which is, <laughs> is quite hysterical but that last page Reveal? Did that give you as much thrill writing as it did those of us Birds of Prey fans who then got to read that? It gave me a huge thrill writing it, and then an even bigger thrill seeing Fernando's page of it drawn. So very dramatic and beautiful and powerful, and, and I was really excited to see that. Will we see that team up moving forward in the books? Um, I can't say. All I'm going to say is issue 32, 33, and 34 are issues you don't want to miss. A lot happens in them. They're huge issues, huge things for Barbara going forward. Great. Thank you so much, Gail Simone, from the New York City Comic Con Special Edition. Yeah, thank you, guys. That was a pleasure. All right. We are back. Those were great interviews. Good job, guys. <laughs> Thanks so much, nice. man. That's so heartfelt. Yeah. I apologize if my voice is a little loud at the, <laughs> at the start. The uh, Didn't have my normal equipment. Sorry. It's... Uh, there's only laughs because we didn't listen to the interviews or anything. We just spent three seconds talking about something else. I was there, man. Yeah. You were there. I was. I did not listen yet. Um, so they could be horrible. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> though I doubt it because they'll, be. they'll be in the show. I they wouldn't put them. If, if they were horrible, you didn't hear them. We're professionals. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we talked about all our books. We, we heard from some awesome creators. Let's get into what is on the shelves right now. Um, from Archie Comic publications we've got archie number 656 um from boom studios we've got adventure time number 29 we've got clive barker's next testament number 10 of 12 um we've got adventure time sugary shorts volume one um last broadcast number two loki ragnarok and roll regular show uh 2014 annual number one thomas alsop number one translucid number three uh, from Dark Horse, we've got Axe Cop, The American Choppers, number two of three. We've got BPRD, Hell on Earth, number 120. Um, we've got Brain Boy, The Men from Gestalt, number two. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season 10, number four. Uh, we've got 
Eye of Newt, number one of four. Um, we've got... Nope, nope. Witcher, number four or five. And Witchfinder, The Mysteries of Unland, number one. From DC Comics, we've got Batman and Raish al Ghul, number 32. Batman Eternal, number 11. Batwoman, number 32. We've got Fables, number 141. Um, Ooh, which is got... the beginning of the final arc of Fables. Aww. Oh, boy. Um, from Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 32. Um, Harley Quinn, number 7. We've got Mad Magazine, number 528. New 52, Future's End, number 7. We've got Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 32. Um, we've got Scribblenauts, Unmasked, A Crisis of Imagination, number 6. We've got Supergirl, number 32. Teen Titans Go, number 4. Trinity of Sin, Pandora, number 12. Unwritten, volume 2, Apocalypse, number 6. And Wonder Woman, number 32. From Dynamite Entertainment, we've got... Doodle Jump Comics, number one. Doodle Great. Jump. It's got an amazing cover. <laughs> You'll look for it in the column this week. <laughs> Lone Ranger, number 25. We've got Magnus, Robot Fighter, number four. Rents, Red Sonia, number 10. Um, <laughs> from IDW, we've got Judge Dredd, Mega City 2, number one. Director's Cut, we've got Kill Shakespeare, The Mask of the Night, <laughs> number one. Little Pet Shop. Littlest Pet Shop, number two. We've got My Little Pony, Friends Forever, number six. We've got Popeye Classic, number 23. Powerpuff Girls, number 10. Samurai Jack, number nine. We've got Star Trek, Harlan Ellison's The City on the Edge of Forever, the original teleplay, number one of five. Illustrated. It is illustrated. It's illustrated. just a comic book filled with words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 35. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, number Ooh. one of four. Whoa. Uh, v Wars, number three. And Winter World, number one. Um, from Image Comics, we've got Alex plus Ada, number seven. Yes. Aphrodite 9, number 11. Drumheller, number 6. Fatal, number 23. Mm-hmm. We've got Manhattan Projects, number 21. Mice Templar, 4. Legend, number 11. Minimum Wages, number 6. MPH, number 2. Savage Dragon, number 195. Sex Criminals, number 6. Yeah. We've got the, the book, the one book that really, really matters this week. Wicked and the Divine, number one. Oh, that is that this week. So fucking excited about Sweet. that book. Sweet. <laughs> um, from Marvel Comics, we've got Avengers, number 31. We've got Avengers World, number eight. Daredevil, number four. Elektra, number three. George Romero's Empire of the Dead, number five. Oh, no, that's the reprint of number five. Of five. Because that's already came out, right? No. Oh, it didn't come out yet? This is the last oh, one okay. in the first arc. All right, I thought that the first act had already ended. Yeah. So number five of five of act one comes out this week. Iron Man, number 28. Iron Patriot, number four. Um, we've got Nova, number 18. Original Sin, number four. Punisher, number seven. Silver Surfer, number three. Um, we've got Thor, God of Thunder, number 23. Thunderbolts, number 27. Ultimate FF, number three. Number three. Um, we've got Uncanny X-Men number 22, Wolverine the X-Men number 5, and X-Men number 15. From Oni Press, we've got Ator number 4. Um, from Valiant Entertainment, we've got Harbinger number 4, and Unity number 8. And from Xenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales presents Ascension number 5, Neverland Age of Darkness number 4. And a one-shot of Wonderland Age of Darkness as well. 
And that's what's on the shelves right now. Uh, Hoo-ha. Guys, if you want to get in touch with us, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com, slash Talking Comics, and podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. Make sure to go to TalkingComicBooks.com, check out the articles, reviews, and our family of podcasts. Um, next week, we're going to be doing that off-topic show where we do our top five movies, our top five albums, and our top five TV shows of all time. Oh, that's going to get nasty. Make sure you send in... Um, why would it get nasty? Yeah, so we're not going to yeah, vote on them. We're not voting. No, we're no. We're not picking the no, site no, wide. Was, no, nasty for me. I'm going to have to really put myself into this. <laughs> um, no, go for it. It's a challenge. It's fun. Um, oh, no. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so, guys, if you have any of those you want to send in, please send them in to podcast mm-hmm. at com. My personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. And Bob. Bob Breyer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Um, and like I said, our family of podcasts, make sure you check them out. We have, of course, Talking Comics, which you're listening to right now. We've got Talking Games every Thursday at noon. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got The Misfits, who just put up a new episode all about Bioshock. Mm-hmm. So make sure you check that out. Um, Talking Movies uh, with Brian Verderosa. And Chris Oliphant, they are into their time travel section right now. They did 12 Monkeys recently. They did 12 Monkeys, mm-hmm. yeah. So they just did that this week. It's a great uh, movie. Yeah. So they just talked about that. So ch- make sure you check that out. And also, like I said before, Talking Valiant as well. Make sure you check that, that one out. Um, and uh, Comics and Coffee as well, which is not a podcast, but it's a live video show. The Empire the vlog. Goes. What'd you say? A, a vlog. vlog. Yeah, I'm not vlog? saying no, I don't want to say vlog. Is that a real word? Yes, it's a real word. Unfortunately. <laughs> Um, vlog the impaler it's a live morning show um so check check the guys out with me and mara would um and that's all the plugging i have to do so that's gonna end talking comics podcast for this week for steve ciao ciao bob go and stephanie bye i have been bobby until next time on talking comics to be continued 